March 6, 2020. Really fun episode of That's What G Said podcast coming up for you here. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to, if you can, head on over and hit a nice uh, subscribe. And that way, every time we record an episode, it'll get delivered to you, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Spreaker. We're trying to get to all the different platforms, Google, Pods, TuneIns. We're, we're on most of them. So thanks for tuning in again. It's going to be a horse racing heavy episode. That's what G said podcast, but we will talk a little college basketball too. We have a big game coming up here in Southern California on Saturday, USC versus UCLA. So we bring back Keeneland Dan to talk about that big, big game on Saturday, which is going to be on CBS. So it's a little college basketball and then horse racing from Aqueduct with David Aragona, who is the morning line maker there. We even talk a little horse racing with Keeneland Dan too, but then we talk about the Gotham and a couple of the undercard races, but mainly the focus on the Gotham. We go through every horse in the race. Then we bring on Emily Golickson. We talk about the San Felipe from Santa Anita, and we go through every horse in the that race, and then we go a little bit through a couple of the undercard races too with Emily. And then I'm going to talk about the Tampa Bay races a little bit, and we're going to have Sam Houston for Friday and Saturday. Loaded show. Just one quick thought. Fun basketball weekend, too, coming up. Lakers play the Bucks on Friday night, the Clippers on Sunday. Um, those three teams are kind of looked at as probably you know, in a tier, uh, at least in your top five, uh, you would say, with the best opportunity to win it all. You know, your, your current strong number one seeds in both conference, and the Clippers have just been incredible what they've been doing lately. They just beat the crap out of Houston. Although, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of overreacting to that game a little bit um, on the Houston side because Houston's been pretty good, and they're the type of team I think that actually does match up well with the Clippers because they're, they they both go small a little bit. But Houston, there's a Westbrook thing there sometimes with Beverly, and and when Westbrook is on, he kind of is like the alpha there uh, among all of them. And uh, y- you know, it's it's I, I still think there's a, there's kind of a weird matchup there with. With Houston, I'd give Houston a puncher's chance if they matched up with the Clippers. Really, anyone when they, you know, if Houston shoots the ball well and they and they stretch the floor, but I think in a series against a team that's just a little bit bigger, it's going to be too much for them. This should be a fun weekend for the Lakers. I mean, um, as much as it's just the regular season, these games don't matter, right? Going zero and two, I wouldn't like that. I'd love to get at least a split here with these two really, really good teams. The Lakers are playing, um, and kind of keep your advantage and then get the opportunity down the stretch to really give uh, give a lot of your guys some minutes restrictions and, and, and sit and kind of just play uh, toward, play the end of the bench. So Lakers added waiters too. We'll see how when he's kind of uh, started to give an opportunity and, and if he's given a chances as, as early as this weekend. But now we get right into it. Can't dilly-dally because this is going to be a long episode and we want to get it out as quick to, as possible. Dan... Cronin, let's talk a little college basketball with Dan. We also talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, the races this weekend and kind of overall a little bit about the, the Kentucky Derby contenders and the three-year-olds so far. So enjoy the interview with Keeneland Dan. Well, I think it's going to be the third time in four weeks we'll be talking to our, our good friend Keeneland Dan, Dan Cronin, and uh, Dan is, is based out in the the Midwest, but if, if he was out here, I'm sure he would be able to see what the buzz is really like. Dan, I, I don't even know if you quite know in the in the LA area 
I mean, the the buzz for UCLA. I'm a USC fan. It doesn't re- even when USC is is really good in basketball. There's not like a huge buzz. It's a little different. Like it's when USC is good in football. There's a buzz. They're starting to get that buzz for UCLA right now with the support coming out from the alumni. Some of the really you know the famous former players from UCLA. They have bought into this team. I think whatever happens in these next few weeks, Dan, it feels like a lot of people are getting behind Mick and this UCLA program. Yeah, and I think it's warranted just, you know, because they're playing the right way. You know, they're playing defense. They're diving all over the floor. They're making timely shots. When when things aren't going well, they're huddling up and getting together and digging in. You know, I mean, just about every home game, especially last week, I mean, down 10 in the second half to Arizona State, down 10 to Arizona. I mean, both games looked like we were deadbeat, and there was no way they were coming back, and they just – you know, it was funny because it was like almost like it's been a, a mixed staple for so many years. They just dug in and got stops, and eventually some shots fell, and then they got the breaks down the stretch. And that's the one thing Mick's really, really good at is if you can get to the four minute mark tied, he is really good at exploiting one on one matchups and things like that down the stretch. Picking I mean, on someone. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been so good at that. And so, you know, at the end of the Arizona game, when I saw the power forward in there, the I can't remember his name, the bigger white guy, yep. uh, their power forward. When I saw him in the game, I said, well, I see what here. I know what's coming. They're going to bring him up. They're going to pick and roll him. They're going to force a switch onto a point guard and he's going to have to guard Tiger. And, and that's what it's all about. I mean, if Tiger can't get it done, then they're going to lose. And Tiger went right by him and banked it in and you know, took a two-point lead. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that, that Mick's always been really good at. And and I think the good coaches are good at that. You know, it's easy if you got the best players. But when you don't have the best players and you've got good players, you have to find the good matchups or you're going to get beat. And I think he's learned who he can go to when and, you know, who's good at what. I mean, Riley's good if he's got some undersized, slower guys on him. But if he's got a really big shot blocker on him, He's not going to score, so you can't go to him. But he's got enough options now with Jaime playing well and and Kaiman making shots off the bench. I mean, it's exciting for now, but it's even more exciting for the future because all these freshmen and sophomores playing so well. While we're talking UCLA, let's just stick with the and preview the big game, and then we'll and then we'll this week coming up, and then sure. we'll kind of expand to the uh, the other bubble teams and and stuff around the country. I mean, this is going to be an awesome game. Uh, the Galen Center is expecting a sellout, and that's one thing that for you know you were talking about this a little bit last week in LA. There's so much going on. You have you got the Lakers, you know, um, and, and there's just so much entertainment that sometimes. You know, USC, UCLA, basketball, college basketball kind of flies under the radar. But when you mentioned when the teams win, when they're good, people will show up. And it looks like it's going to be a packed house this weekend at the Galen Center. This game is going to be on CBS, which is really good for the Pac-12, good for recruiting. Oh, that's huge, isn't it? It's huge. it's, It's awesome. It's so much fun. They don't really get that opportunity. They get some ESPN games at night. But a game like this on the weekend, national TV like that, where everybody gets a chance to see when both of these teams are playing well and they're both good. So from from a UCLA standpoint, give me like UCLA wins, why UCLA loses, why? Like what are the things they're going to have to do well to succeed in this game against USC? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is defend the interior yeah. with with Okongwu, you can't let him and and Big Nick 
I call him Nick R because I can't pronounce Nicky Racks, baby. Nicky Racks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, because that and 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 I think that's the one matchup where I think both coaches are nervous is because if Chris Smith's playing the four, which he usually does, Nick Nick R's got to guard him too. Yeah. So it's like which one of them can take advantage of? All right. Well, I'm bigger and slower, but I've got you know way more post moves. Well, okay. Well, I'm quicker and can make more threes and go by you on the other end. So which guy can win that matchup? I think is going to be gigantic. And then Matthews is just so good, and he's even better at home. Uh, UCLA has to control Matthews. And then the last thing to me is we can't turn Ethan Anderson into an All-American again. Mm. I mean, he's a solid point guard, but I don't think you would say he's an upper echelon Pac-12 point guard. No, and he's you inconsistent. Start- you know, yeah. you, you have to you kind of like don't let him early in the game get a little confidence because then what ends up happening, he starts playing really well on both ends of the floor. You know, yeah. he plays well defensively, then he gets into the pain a little bit. It's like you could see that confidence go. But, yep. you know, one of the things we've discussed quite a bit is that the backcourt for USC, even even Jonah, who can have some really big games, and he has the ability to kind of be an X factor and maybe take them to the next level. But he has some games where he's just kind of a no-show for a half or he misses a couple shots and he struggles. So it's always going to be funny, which like a Jekyll and Hyde, which, which backcourt for the Trojans is going to show up. Yeah, and I agree with you on that, too, because it seems like to me in the games I've watched, when the when the ball's going in and things are going well for Southern Cal, they play really well. Yes. But when some adversity hits and, and uh, you know, they go eight or ten trips and can't make a shot and they start out one for a, seven. A couple bad calls that they feel yeah, don't go their way or something like that. Yeah. All of a sudden the defense just stops and yep. they don't they don't dig in and get those stops now. Against Arizona State, they came out on fire, got the lead, got control, and controlled it from the get-go. And the same thing, even though the, the Arizona game was kind of slow to develop, we were falling asleep at 18-18. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think the announcers, gonna... <laughs> the announcers from that game were talking about how they wanted to watch the other game going on across town between UCLA yeah, like, and Arizona State. I was watching yeah. both games, and I was like, my <laughs> lord. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Like, it, I, And I was getting nervous as a Trojan fan because – it was one of those games where it's like they should be up by about 15 points right now. And it was, you know, always within about five or six. So, like, on my end, it makes me a little bit nervous when I, there are just a lot of spells for USC where they go, just like you said, maybe five trips where they don't really get a great look or they're kind of forcing right. it or they're they're trying to, like, to over – like to overforce it down low to the big man or to one of the bigs, and then they get a little sloppy, they turn the ball over, and then they force it. I think they just against the really when you play the upper, the better teams, and against a team like UCLA, who's becoming a very disciplined team, and that's kind of one of mixed calling cards is just that you when you're you know, your teams that don't just don't make a lot of mistakes, they play well, they play hard, you know what you're gonna get from them. You can't the Trojans can't go, you know, four or five minutes at a time. Um, without like getting on the board, without getting buckets, because they're going to be in some trouble having to score against a team who's, you know, just really buying in and they're hot right now. Right, and that's the thing. The key to UCLA on offense is they they just got to keep making shots. Early in the year, nobody made a shot, yep. and it's like you know you can only score so many points when when nobody ever makes a shot. And I always say that the difference between good teams and average teams is only wide open shots. You know, when you pop out to the three-point line and you're open for a split second, I mean, it's high D1. You're only open for a split second. you got to make it. You know, when Jaime decided to start making shots and Kyman started making shots and Singleton 
went from a nobody, nothing, couldn't even play him to now playing 30 minutes because not only is he playing defense, but when he's wide open, he makes it. And if if those shots go in and you you come out at, at Southern Cal and you go, you know, in the first half, you go, you know, six for 15 from the three-point line, you're going to be in the game. You go one for 15 and you're going to be down 10 and and now you're in deep trouble trying to figure out how in the world are we going to score and come back. And 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 I think looking at the brackets and looking at the all the different things here, I don't think Southern Cal has to win. I, I just think USC can't lose that first game in the Pac-12 okay. against the lower team. Sure. As long as they don't blow that game to, you know, an Oregon State or a Cal or whoever they end up playing, I think they're already in. I think they're going to be 9, 10, 11, but they're in. Where I think UCLA, even with my bias, I've been doing this for Mick for 15 years, and I've been pretty close every year on exactly where they've been seated. I think UCLA cannot lose two in a row. That's I if think that's go, true. Or a bad go, loss, maybe get blown out. Well, I don't yeah, think either team. Yeah, if either team you, gets blown out too, that's probably going to be something yeah. that that last taste in your mouth that everyone's yeah. going to see. You know, before they make they start putting the uh, the, the brackets together. Right, because you go to Southern Cal and get beat in a close game. They, okay, they might drop you a hair. Sure, but now you already got the buy. You're probably going to be the three seed. It looks like unless Oregon would blow. It looks like if you lose, you're the three seed. You might end up with Southern Cal again, or you might end up with Stanford, or you might end up with Arizona. I mean, it's all in flux right there. Who's going to be the six? And all those teams are tournament teams. You can't then lose again. To another possible tournament team, the team that's right on the end. Yeah, you you can't get all this momentum, get to where the committee loves you, and everybody's moving you into the bracket talking about you all over the country. Almost a top 25 team right now, right? You're like top 27 in some of these polls, like right on the outside looking in. Yeah. And if you, if you go to Southern Cal and win, you're going to be 23rd or 24th in the country. They can't leave you out. Even if you lose in the first game to to Stanford or Southern Cal, Arizona, you can't, they're not going to leave you out when you're getting, when you're in the top 25, they'll look like fools. They're not going to do that. They're staring right at that stuff. They can say they don't look at that. Come on. They're human beings. They follow it like everybody else. They're staring at the top 25. They can see, oh, boy, UCLA's getting votes. They're not going to leave them out. But if you lose two in a row, now you can say, yeah, they won seven in a row. But then as soon as you know the popcorn started popping here and the nation started paying attention, they lost two in a row. So we, you know, we can use that as an excuse to leave them out. Because you know, teams like Richmond, Utah State, they don't belong in the bracket. No, I'm they- sorry, they just don't. They they need to do more to get in, and and UCLA can really take care of business by just handling, you know, controlling their own destiny. At least winning, you yeah. know, winning one more game, you know, at, at the very least coming up. Because you mentioned if they lose a game on the road to a team that they're, you know, they're right. Kind of a lot of the metrics say they're very closely ranked to on the road. I don't think they're going to get, you know, a ton of heat for that. But if you come back and you lose again, and you don't at least win one game in, of these next two in the Pac-12. To start the Pac-12 tournament Then you're going to be the point where You know, one of those teams like we're looking at that Maybe they win two or three games in a row And they're saying, okay, here is Utah State Okay, here is, you know, they're kind of yeah, Giving them exactly. the benefit of the doubt Just because UCLA lost late Because, I mean, here's a team that everybody assumes is in And I only pay attention because I'm, I'm right here And that's Xavier Now, Xavier's got a 70 strength of schedule In a non-conference, 17 overall That, that part's great But they're 3-10 and 10. 
three and ten against quad one. They've won three games on a Hail Mary three-pointer to tie the game to send it into overtime in the last five seconds. Three games they've won like that. Not one, three. Now think about that. If those, if those Hail Mary 25-foot shots don't go in instead of 19 and 11, they're 16 and 14. Or even just one or even just two. Not even all three of them. Right? right. Like just just one or one of them go the other way. Two of them go the other way. Um, and everybody's got them a nine or a ten. Some have them down to an eleven. I'm not convinced they're absolutely in. They got they got Butler coming at home on senior day. You know, you gotta win at the Centos Center, but they could get beat. Butler's good. And then if it ends the way it is today, they play Villanova in the first game of the Big East. And they, they just lost to a, a Providence team who has kind of been moving up the ranks after some of their key and quality wins. So um, that yeah, that's so, a, I mean, those two teams are both they they got work to do. They, and then look at Oklahoma; they're five and nine against Quad One. Just got beat on the the craziest last five seconds I think I've ever seen in my life against against Texas, who's another one that's on the bubble. You know, Oklahoma's five and nine against Quad One. They're eighteen and twelve overall. So when when we're looking like at this time of the year when everyone's kind of you know talking about their brackets they're making their brackets they're doing the bracketology they're putting their bubble together it's there's so much now I mean we have now just Lenardi Palm Haslametrics to name a few how do you like take all the information in are you kind of looking at everyone together kind of putting a cumulative is there one or two sp- you know, things that you weigh a little high, more highly than the others. This yeah. year, are you leaning towards net rating more? Because that's what they've said. Like, well, how do you kind of... You're, you're going to you're gonna laugh at this. But I firmly believe in conspiracy theories. And here's one of them. CBS has the tournament, right? They're yes. the ones that have the tournament. Jerry Palm works for who? CBS. CBS. The day or two before... The bracket is announced mysteriously every year. He's moving teams all over the place. <laughs> this guy, this team goes from eight to six. They're going from five to eight. He, uh, Cincinnati last year was a four. All of a sudden, they're a six. It's like, well, wait a minute. What? He's moving teams all over the country. He's mo- and then suddenly he's got zero to one teams wrong every year. Well, how is that? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a heads up, that? or uh, yeah. No, I guarantee you, one of them ten guys is like, "Here, these are these are our last six we're deciding on right now," and then he'll put you know four of them in, two of them out. Well, you can only be wrong on two. Wow. I mean, you know, they just they just leaked it to you. So I'm convinced that he's the guy to look at at the end. And. Now, what already might have more technology to get them closer now, but as we get closer, just look at Palm's bracket. Look who he's got in and out. He's only going to be wrong on one or two tops. And one game that I could tell by following you that you were kind of maybe circling or, or looking at a team that was a five seed in a lot of brackets that has not really been playing well. And I think a lot of people feel like they're a bit overhyped. They just lost right now, so they're probably going to be off that five line. That's the Auburn Tigers. They are who, the biggest fraud of all time. That would have been a great spot for a team like UCLA who's looked like projected yep. around the 12 line. I mean, if you would have got a shot against an Auburn seed as a five, that I'm thinking you would take that every day of the week. When the bracket came out, my dad called me 
and he follows this because he's got too much time on his hands now to mix in California. <laughs> he, he's calling me going, oh, my God, they got us playing Auburn. I'd do a dance if that was true. and Because he said it back in November. He's like, why is this team rated? And and you keep watching them play, and it's like they well number one they don't play they don't play anybody they play in the SEC they play a couple of good teams a year and a bunch of average teams and and their guard play is average their big guys are average and they rely solely on flying to the rim kicking it to the corner and flinging threes and yeah if you get hot you can go on a run but you can also go five for twenty five in the first huge variable yeah with them they're just like they're one thing about um some of the, a lot of these teams that we've seen this year they they're they're very similar to a team like like Purdue who you just their their range of outcome is so massive right yep. and that's what's a hard that's a hard team to trust come tournament time because they could get beat by anybody but they legitimately could beat anybody you know like if they get hot or if they come in with their A game it just we just don't know when we're going to get that kind of performance and um for, from teams like that and they you know they've become tough to a, a tough team to to kind of trust. So we're looking at the bubble right now. Lenardi kind of has, which he doesn't really even have UCLA on the bubble. To be honest, he he kind of has a, a bubble of around 20, 20 teams, and UCLA is a little bit above that. I think what we said they probably have to lose two games or get beat up really bad against USC to maybe people start looking at them and, and saying, okay, now they're really close. Uh, they have um, he has USC as one of the last four in, but when you look at some of the other bubble teams, like we've kind of talked about them, um, you know, Oklahoma, Southern Cal, Arizona State, they got a couple, uh, they got a big weekend coming up. So mainly with these teams, you know, Stanford, Texas, Indiana, they just had a, a close win. What do you think about Cincinnati? Where they stand? Where they kind of rank like above or below some of these other bubble teams? And then out of these yeah. bubble teams, who who are some of the ones that you think? Like in or out, you know, Purdue's another one They're kind of on the outside looking in Wichita State Utah, Richmond, you mentioned It's close, there are a lot of teams vying for You know, it looks like 8 or 9 spots Over 20 teams Yeah, with Cincinnati, my heart is hoping They get in My my head is staring at Their best win at Wichita State Who's on the bubble You know, Houston at home When the guy bit somebody You know, or he, they would have probably <laughs> Houston would have probably won If the guy doesn't bite um, you know, Cumberland being in and out hurt with a ton of different injuries. I, th- uh, two and six against quad one. If, if the Bearcats get in, I think they're going to have to beat Temple on Sunday on senior day or Saturday night, senior night. Um, then I think they have to not lose to anybody else in the American, but Houston. Now, whether that comes in the semis or the finals, depending on seating, Houston's going to be a seven or eight seed. So if you lose to them, it's not bad. If you lose to anybody else, you lose to Wichita State, you lose to UConn, you lose to Memphis, that's bad. I mean, that's bad, bad news. And I, I'm just, I, man, I, I got a really bad feeling. I, I just got a, the strength of schedule being 15 is, you know, it's a wonderful manipulation by the new staff to figure out how to get a team in the American to, to a 15 strength of schedule because when you go up and down that schedule that's not the 15th best schedule in the country but you know i as a 50-year fan i hope they get in i just get i got a bad feeling i think they'll beat temple saturday but that first and second round of the american they cannot lose if they lose they're out and i and i really firmly believe that i i I think that's a, a bad bad deal right there 
Uh, same with Utah State. They can't lose to anybody except San Diego State, or they have no chance to get in. Uh, Richmond better not lose to anybody but Dayton, or they can't get in. You know, they they blow a game to to you know St. Louis, they're not going to get in. That that's uh, what's key with some of these Pac-12 teams too. Is it's the the teams this weekend that are on the bubble that can't really afford to have a bad loss, like you know Arizona State. They can't they can't lose to the Washingtons. You know no, they, they can't lose yeah, they to Washington. Stanford can't lose to Oregon State. You know no. they can lose at Oregon and and in a close game, maybe one they don't really don't get crushed. That's that's not a bad loss. But you know it's the key. You're mentioning key things now too. With only two and three games left, and and a lot of these teams all vying for that final spot. And if we know there's not a difference, between, a very big difference between you know 25 different teams. You just can't have a bad loss even more than you need a good win. Yeah, and then I'm really curious to see what the committee does with Rutgers. Now, I know that the ESPN guys, because they're up east, are all trying to get Rutgers in the tournament. I mean, they, they, they talk about it nonstop. But when you break down their actual schedule, they're 1-8 and eight on the road. Who yeah. Who is on the bubble at 1-8? and eight? That's just... You, you can't have that. You can't have that when you're UCLA's when your record in true road three. game. Yeah, UCLA's five and three in conference on the road. I mean, one and eight. You, I mean, you. I don't. They've won some big games, but they're all at home. And you know, the committee at some point keeps telling us that road wins mean more. Well, it's time to put your money where your mouth is because if you put Rutgers in over UCLA, when UCLA's five and three with one to go, and Rutgers is one and eight with one to go, and they both have similar records overall. And all Rutgers' good wins are at home, and UCLA's best wins are all on the road. I I I don't know how you can possibly put Rutgers in over UCLA when you when you start comparing resumes. You know when you put up when you line up the teams that are all on the bubble like next to each other, and you're just taking away who they are, and you're just looking at resumes. It's really hard. To put them in over a team who's been hot late or a team who's had good success on the road. Because I agree with you. It's just they've done what they were supposed to do. And that's kind of what's been a, that's that's very been very similar to not as much this year for USC, but some of the past years when USC has been a team on the outside looking in, it was because they didn't go on the road and win big games and they only did what they had to do at home. So I don't think that really should be rewarded a, a whole lot. You have to have a couple of big wins out there. Yeah, I mean, you can't go one. And their their last road game's at Purdue. Now, they play this weekend at Purdue, Rutgers does, who's a non-tournament team, you know, on their home floor. If you don't go in there and win, you've now lost four of your last five, five of your last seven. Uh, they are three and eight in their last 11. Now, is that a tournament team? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that. All because they beat Seton Hall, you know, two months ago. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I don't see that. I, the only win Rutgers can hang their hat on, you know, other than in-league play at home, is Seton Hall. They beat Seton Hall and they, 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 they killed Seton Hall. You know, and yeah, that's a good win. But you're 19-11 and 11 and there's other teams 19-11. and 11, You're 1-8 and eight on the road. I, <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see how much they take the net into play because if they really go by the net, which they, they went by the RPI, but they didn't really go by it. I mean, there was teams with really low RPIs that got in every year, you know, the net 
we've only had a one year. You know, I don't understand the daggone thing anyway. I mean, <laughs> I mean, UCLA beats Arizona State and Arizona and moved up two spots. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know how that can happen. And we're told some years that things are going to be important. And then when we look at the way the brackets play out, it's like, well, that's not what really ended up being the case. So we never really know until after we see the brackets, how important, you know, net or, you know, some years it, it just depends on whatever different metric each year they're, they're kind of preaching is going to be the one that the, the committee uses. We never really know until after the brackets out. So, well, until the last year or two, with these major conferences getting bigger and bigger and bigger, if you had 14 losses, you had zero chance to get mm-hmm. in. I mean, I think there was like, I put out there, there was like six and 25 years got in. Now there was three that got in over the last couple of years because these conferences are just getting bigger and bigger and they're all playing. They went from 16 league games, to 18 league games, now to 20 league games. So you're going to absorb more losses, but at what point do you cut that off? Yeah. You know, it, so I, I just keep telling, you know, everybody, if your team's got 12 losses or under and you lose one in your conference tournament, 13, you're probably going to get in, you know, in a major conference. But, you know, if you get the 14, I I mean, maybe they'll let maybe they'll let somebody in at 14 this year. You know, I'm not real sure who's going to be that team, because when I go up and down those records, I don't see anybody that's going to end up with 14 losses that's going to get in. Um you know, I just I Oklahoma's got twelve now. I guess if they would lose their last game and one in the conference tournament, I, I guess they could end up with fourteen. But you know, nobody else. Providence has only got twelve, um, and they got DePaul at home in their last game. They can't. Well, they you don't think they could lose to DePaul at home? You you, you wouldn't yeah. think that um, as good as they've played here the last month. Um, so they they figure to get in with thirteen once they lose in the tournament. So. I, I just think it's a, it's a dead thing again. Is you know if you got a team on the bubble that looks like they're going to have fourteen wins, just assume they're going to be out. Let's go from the the bottom. We we're talking about the bubble and the teams that are just kind of the outside looking in towards the top now. And what's very interesting this year is you have you know three teams that aren't in major conferences that have a legitimate chance for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament this year you know Gonzaga with with what they've done in the last 20 years like they've become a perennial powerhouse and you know they're they're a they're they're a blue blood now you know they're not uh, you know some small school but but when you look at San Diego State and you look at Dayton we're talking about you know Three of them legitimately could be on the one lines you know probably one or two of them will end up being on the two lines so when you're handicapping the, the top now with with San Diego State, Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Dayton, maybe you know maybe a Villanova, Florida State, like who, Seton Hall, Michigan State's playing really well. Um, who do you think are towards the top that you feel like are the true number one seeds? I think the best teams in the country are Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, and oof, man, I. I, I don't know who the fourth one would be. It, it definitely wouldn't be San Diego State. I don't think they're that good. I don't, no, me neither. It might be Dayton, but then, you know, they played two good teams and they lost to both of them. They were both in overtime, but they did lose to Kansas and to Colorado. Um, Seton Hall's good, but they're not great. Florida State's got a ton of talent. I mean, that might be the next one. That might be my fourth number one would be Florida State in the East. Because you know, I, I don't think it's fair to give Gonzaga and San Diego State a one and send one of them east. I, I just don't think that when you've got an ACC champ right there, you've got a Big Ten champ that's right there. 
I mean, I think you got to give the East to either Florida State or maybe Maryland. Um, Michigan State's got too many losses, but I wouldn't want to play them in the tournament. Yeah, they're playing well right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Oregon's real to me. Oregon's really good if Durante comes back. Um, you know, he's got the broken hand. I don't know when he's going to be back. Kentucky was on a roll, and then I don't know what the heck happened the other night. I turned the game off. They were up 10 points, and then I didn't even know they lost until my dad mentioned it at lunch. And I was like, what, what do you mean they lost? I turned the game off. <laughs> I was like, they lost at home to Tennessee? That's impossible. He's like, I'm telling you, they lost. And I flipped it off. I was like, oh, my God. You know, there's another team, BYU. I wouldn't want to play. No, they're they're old, like they're an older team. You know, they're one of those teams that they're very like they're older exper- and score. They got a post player that can score. They got they got guards that can score. That I mean, that would be a I, if they're five. I don't want to be USC or UCLA. No, well playing them. I'd much no rather thanks. play. You know, there's a team right now, and this will be kind of the last college. And I want to ask you a one, uh, one or two racing thoughts because we have a big weekend coming up with a couple of prep races. Just going to get your your Kentucky Derby overall thoughts. Um, West Virginia. I, I see one where it's got UCLA playing West Virginia. I mean, I don't. I would be okay with the matchup like that for UCLA. Yeah, yeah I, I I showed my dad five or six teams that I thought that we would play in the first round. It's going to be Auburn, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Butler. West Virginia, maybe Michigan or Iowa. That's pretty much it. It's going to be one of those teams. And USC's kind of in the same, you know, I've seen USC Ohio yeah. State's in a few different spots. That's one that I would would absolutely take. They're one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams where you just don't know which Ohio State team you're going to get. They could be... I would definitely take Penn State. Sure. Yeah. We we kind of no experience in the tournament. Weeks. They were yeah. overachieving all year long. Yeah. You know, they they're not nearly as good as their record states. Yeah. They just kind of got hot at at a, at a good time throughout the year I don't think we can take their wins away from them And what they've done But that doesn't mean I, I expect them to be able to To kind of sustain what they did earlier in the year Moving forward Especially yeah. against better teams I so, don't think Wisconsin's that good I mean they're they're just They're, they're an they're okay team okay. Yeah no I agree with you Like any That's what I, I like a lot of these teams That it look like USC or UCLA can play If they get in So you know what Could Are, are they You know Four or five seeds in our USC and UCLA, you know, probably lower seeds for a reason, sure. But if we're talking about one game, can can you know this USC or UCLA team who is who are both very talented teams? UCLA is well coached; they're hot. USC has a couple like top players, like a big O could get hot and completely carry a team and could beat anyone. I like the opportunities that we're going to get, you know, against some maybe a four or five seeds, six seeds, you know, something like that. Absolutely, I. I think the bracket this year, other than Kansas, who will probably get to the Final Four unless they run into a Michigan State or Kentucky who might be a four seed, you know, they'll run right into them and then they could get beat. Uh, I mean, everybody else is, I mean, Gonzaga is good, but they're not great. They're beatable. Everybody yeah, else is beatable. Great. Baylor, they, we saw, you know, get beat a couple times recently, just last week. Um, and you, you mentioned like Dayton, you know, the teams at the very top, Dayton can win, you know, but they've lost to their like they've lost to their toughest opponent. San Diego State has looked a lot more beatable over the last couple of weeks. They've been in some dog fights back and forth. So I mean, I'm with you. We've seen nobody. The Pac-12 is very solid, but nobody in there is unbeatable. But if you told me that Oregon or Arizona or USC or UCLA upset really anyone, but maybe a Kansas, that wouldn't shock me either. So they're just it, it's fun going in right now because it does feel like this year that the filling out the brackets are going to be a blast. You know whether or not they they hit. You're going to look at that bracket and break it down and feel like you can at least have plenty of upsets. 
And to me, the only way to fill out a bracket is take the conference that you think is the best and put all their teams in a Sweet 16 and then go from there. Backwards. Yeah, go, back, <laughs> Just, go backwards, right? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know who you think's better. I, I mean, Pac-12 is <laughs> really good this year. The Big Ten's really good. I think the ACC stinks. Uh, the Big 12, other than Kansas and Baylor, is terrible. But those two are really good. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'd probably advance some Big Ten teams and some Pac-12 teams and, and go from there. But, man, oh, man, it's going to be fun for sure because every game is going to be – you know, you're going to see 12 seeds favored over five seeds, 11s over sixes in Vegas, and we're all going to be laughing. Like, how in the heck is it? <laughs> but it's that's just what it is. It's what it's what's going to happen. So let's uh, spend a minute or two on uh, coming up this weekend. We actually have in horse racing three Kentucky Derby prep races, races that will be worth points for the the top finishers. And basically, if you finish first or second in these races now, now you're pretty much in the Derby and you're in the the race. The, what's what's fun about this weekend? There's actually a pretty competitive race. What looks like at Santa Anita with maybe three or four um, legitimate horses who, if they got into the Derby, you might be able to give them a second look. And then you have two races out here: uh, one at Tampa, and then one at at Aqueduct, where you have some big fields and you have some improving three year olds. We're going to see. Um, you know, Aqueduct's race seems really, really wide open if you don't like the horse that, that comes in from Florida. So it's kind of what are your overall thoughts of the, the preps coming up this weekend? Are, are there is there anyone that you're really excited or maybe anyone in the next week or two that you're really looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I, the San Felipe, I can't wait to see because I think the Derby winner might be in that. Now, mm-hmm. Baffert's got four or five of them, but this is two of them right here. And I'm I'm really curious to see Authentic run again. I he was so green and just looking around and goofing off. And if they've got that figured out with him, there's not a lot of speed in that race. He should go right to the front, and then we'll see how good he is. Um, Honor AP, I don't know what Mike Smith will do with him. Is he going to take him back? Is he going to try to go forward? I, I think being out of Honor Code, I think they just need to take him back, make one run, and see how good he is. I'm not completely sold on him yet. Thousand words is one that that I bet on a couple times, but every horse that's run behind him hasn't fired back. No, none of them have fired back. So it's I'm hard when they sure. keep winning to to like really knock them. But we have to look in you know when you're looking at five different Bafferts who are all good, you have to kind of start trying to rank them, you know, and kind of place them right. at least to where like they are up upper tiers. And I'm kind of with you. He's very he's just kind of workmanlike. You know, he just kind of yeah, does what exactly. he needs to get the job. He's just not he's not flashy. It really, in any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the, the words I would use. He's just workmanlike. He just, you know, like that Pletcher a couple years ago, I can't, the undefeated Pletcher was kind of like that, that was winning, but nothing, you know, nothing great, and then ran 20th in the Derby and retired. Um, you know, I, thousand words, I don't know. I He's kind of like storm the court with me, where I, I got to see some more. I, I That Breeders' Cup Juvenile so bad. Yeah, it was that, weak that I just don't think storm the courts in the same league with authentic. So my play would be authentic. I don't know what kind of, you know, odds you're going to end up with on him because there's, you know, other options in there. So I would think you have a chance at something decent, you know, yeah, you're not, yeah. I, don't I don't think, think anyone's going to get overwhelmingly played in there. There's probably going to be yeah. some, some support at least between, you know, the four that we mentioned, at least the three. And like, I want to just from like a handicapping standpoint in this race, I there are a lot of things that that make me 
think that the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner will improve in this spot and run better than he did last time. But I think I, I kind of feel just like what you you did. Even if he does improve and take a step forward with that race under his belt, he kind of um, you know was a little bit outrun. But I think he should get a lot out of that comeback race. I just don't know if he's as good as the other three in here that, that might be right. in front of him. You know, he, no, he just I, might. I agree with that. So. To me, the play is authentic. If I get a decent, you know, five to two type deal, then I'll go ahead and bet. If not, I'm just going to take notes and watch it. I I really like attachment rate in the Gotham <laughs> because I love one turn mile races because you get so many crazy from last to first results. It happens over and over again because that long backstretch. And they all go flying out of there and they get to the top of the stretch and all their tongues are hanging out. And when I look at this race, I, Celtic Strikers speed, Warstopper speed, Necker Island speed, Mischievous Alex has to have the lead. He's a sprinter going a route. You know, Six Toes a sprinter going a route. Um, you know, Flapjack's going to be up near the lead. I mean, I, this has got the signs of everybody flying out of there and attachment rates sitting about 12 lengths behind. And then just exploding, and the horse is going to be every bit of four or five to one. And so. and it, yeah, and, and then over at at Tampa, we're going to see the horse who was scratched out of the Florida Derby. It would it was or at the floor at the Fountain of Youth, um, Chance it. And what was funny about that was uh, not that Chance it would have definitely had the same type of trip that Ette Indian did, but he ends up scratching out of post twelve, and the horse from post eleven ends up crossing over and going, and and he didn't have any issue with that wide post. I mean, I'm and looking I at this. I think this was a tougher race. Yeah, I, I do. I, this is not an easy race by by no, any I means. I mean, all three all three Pletchers can run, and my, I, I I actually text my guy that gives me all these Pletcher horses, and I said, "All right, which one they like the best?" And I'm thinking, "All right, well, Texas Swing won a really really good, you know, maiden race, and I can't wait to bet on GeoCare out of that race this weekend. You know, he gets the one hole, he gets Castellano. They're going to like that one." Or if they don't, they're going to like market analysis because, you know, the horse went off even money, beat attachment rate, beat the rest of the field by 10 lengths. And no, they come with the other one. <laughs> so they like unrighteous the best. I'm like, what? <laughs> and wouldn't it, be funny, wouldn't it be funny for Kieran Laughlin, who just recently announced that he's going to be leaving training to get a horse that's like a derby horse right before he's about to leave? You know, right. Spa City. That would be hilarious. <laughs> and, and my my notes on Spa City were nice win. He could be any kind. Look for him in a stake next. I I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, this is a really really tough race. I mean, chance it's going to be the favorite. I, I think that's a bad morning line. Maybe I'll so be too. wrong and I'll apologize, but I think chance it's going to be favored. Well, I mean, he beat he he beat up on the horse Sol Volante. You know when they when they faced um and every handicapper can see knows what happened in the Sol Volante last race. I mean they went way too fast, and Independence Hall moved way too early. And I get it; he was grabbing him, he was trying everything to not move. He had to, um, and the horse ran by, got the perfect setup, and you know the thankless game we live in. Panici gets taken off, and Florent Giroux on, even though he rode a perfect race and won the Sam F Davis on him. Now he doesn't get the ride. Uh, what a what a business we're well, in. I, right? I gotta look. I think he got hurt. Did he I got get hurt? I think that's what it was. Well, that would I, make I, more sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost because... positive. I think he got hurt. Yeah. Um. And, and because yeah, that would be that'd be brutal. I mean, Sol Volante was super impressive there. But I I I'm agreeing with you in that I don't really knock 
Sol Volante, like you're going to get a lot of pace to run out a lot of times in, in these big races, but that race just really seemed to set up so well. Yeah, and I, I just think all three of these Pletchers can win, and you, there's just no telling how good. I mean, market analysis, they've been touting that horse forever. You know, owned by Windstar and China Horse, we don't know how good he is. I mean, he, he could run off the screen or he could not run a step. I, this is one of these races where I'm not betting a dollar. I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch. And I'm going to take my notes and get ready for the next prep because I mean, maybe chance it's the best and he'll sit close and, and go on with it. But it wouldn't surprise me if any of these Pletchers ran. I mean, they're, they're all good. They're all solid horses. You know, I mean, Unrighteous was right behind Spa City and ran as good as you can run, you know, to not win. You know, when you watch that race, I mean, that horse was right behind Spa City. And maybe those two are, I mean, they're coming out a mile and eighth. I mean, they don't have to stop. No, they're going to come running. And and then who's going to go the lead? Is John R going to send market analysis to the to the front or is Chancey going to make it with Paco or is Texas Swing going to make it from the rail? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) This is I mean, if you like somebody in here and you've got some angle, you're going to get every bit of the dollar amount you want, because I mean, I wouldn't there's no way I would take anybody below three or four to one in here. Why don't it's too too wide open. Wide open race, really fun weekend, and yeah, un- unlucky. Talk about Luca Panici, who got uh, hurt, I think, a couple of weeks back, um, um, injuries and separate and a couple separate riding mishaps. Regular rider for Sol Volante uh, and Ete Indian, who just came back and won last oh, week. Geez. With so it's like you could be losing out on two of the biggest mounts of your entire life. Just really, that's, really unfortunate. A twinge in his terrible. shoulder. Went to the hospital. X rays confirmed an injury. Um, couldn't have come at a worse time as Luca had a very good meet and he had mounts on two top three year olds who are on the trail. So yeah, and Florence Giroux replaced on on I think both of them now, right? Ette Indian, right. yeah, and Sol Volante. So it could and be. How about, uh, how about Independence Hall going to decide to go to the Florida Derby? I, I, how, were you not shocked by that decision? Hundred percent. I figured you want to give yourself at least two more opportunities. For a horse who came back and seemed like he still needs to progress a little bit, he moved a little early. He's still he's talented, but you know we we have questions about how far he wants to go, this and that. I would try to get him as fit as possible, and I try to give myself as many opportunities as possible. But now you're in the point where if you don't run well there, you're not going to get in. Well, isn't Tiz the Law going there? You're going to have Tiz the Law going there. You're going to have Ete Indian also going there, and so right off the bat. I, you know, you're going to be on in, earth. In, would you do that? It just I, doesn't make any sense to me. Meaning, this would have been a much better spot right here. Give yourself another chance. If you don't run well, then you can kind of pick and choose. Maybe you can go to the Bluegrass, or maybe you can go to the Arkansas Derby. You know, which are a little bit later. Give yourself yeah, another you could opportunity. Have went to the Louisiana Derby to where you had time to come back again if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I did. I'm with you. I always want to give myself more opportunities with these horses who are lightly raced. We because we just, especially a year like this year, we don't know how good any of these horses are. We really don't. You know, there's a couple right. Baffert monsters who still haven't, you know, tested the the deeper waters of Stakes Company yet. But we just what, don't what's know. What's the even, name of the new one that just that just Charlatan? Gee, many Christmas. Yeah, that that work. I had I I had chills down my arms. You know, watching that work. I haven't seen a horse work like that since American Pharaoh. And what's nice is with XBTV, man, we can see a lot of these works now too. It's a re- they're a really good follow if you if you just are someone who oh, likes I to love it. 
Yeah, it's so nice. I mean, we get to see Nadal. I think next week the Re- uh, the Rebel looks like on paper it's going to be great. There's a a really fun Louisiana bred who's quick who's going to try to stretch out. You're going to see Basin making uh, his return to the races uh, for Asmussen. We're going to see oh, wow. Silver Prospector, who was you know the winner of the the Southwest coming back. Like that's going to be a deep They're deal all too. Going next. in there, no paroles going in there. With yep. The, oh my lord. Yeah, with the other one. So that's going to be a, a fun race next week. So. Uh, Dan, I mean, this is a great time of the year for us with with March Madness, and we're into March, and now we've got all these derby preps. So, someone like uh, us, and especially you, who's huge into college basketball, huge into racing, it's going to be a fun next six weeks or so. Yep, can't wait. I cannot Dan, wait. Dan Cronin, brother of UCLA basketball head coach Mick Cronin, and mixed all over the news, the local stuff here, the papers. Everybody is really loving him. Uh, Los Angeles has kind of fallen in love with. With just his his work ethic, um, how much he cares, how much he, he obviously loves the kids, and what what an amazing turnaround he's done here at UCLA. We'll let you go now, Dan. Uh, before we do, let everybody know where can we find you online and give us the the Fat yep. Ball Guy plug. Yeah, FatBallGuyRacing.com. We got all kinds of specials for the Derby Trail. We got twenty five dollars off the Derby Trail right now, um, and I'm on Twitter all the time, Keeneland Dan at FatBallGuyRacing. No G on that one because we ran out of spaces. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, um, we'll I'll be texting back and forth with you on Saturday. We're gonna have a blast watching that USC UCLA game. Absolutely. Hope everyone, hope everyone out there turn tunes in. It's gonna be on CBS, so we'll have fun. Good luck. I hope it's a close game, so we both have a good opportunity to still get in the tournament. You know, based on how we do in the Pac-12. Exactly. Absolutely. All right, Keenan, Gino, Dan, you, have man. a good one, buddy. We'll talk you soon too. again. Thanks a lot. All right, see you. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. Uh, I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can enjoy use that promo code G-I-N-O my favorite is fresh roses the fresh roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got Del Mar in there you ever want to know what Del Mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company the website C-E-R-A Candles.com Sarah Candles.com promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase and a big thank you to Keeneland Dan there huge game for us coming up S-C-U-C-L-A Looks like at least one of these teams could get in, both now with some of the losses. We recorded the interview with Dan prior, uh, it was Thursday afternoon, so there were some big losses in the Pac-12, Stanford, Arizona State. Those actually really could help USC and UCLA both if there's a tight game, if both teams play well, and then if both teams play well again going into the uh, in, into the Pac-12 tournament, if they both can you know win a game or two then maybe they can both get in. That would be a, a whole lot of fun because the Bruins are playing well and USC have a couple of really, really talented players that I would love to see get an opportunity um, to, to match up with some of the best in the NCAA tournament. So big thanks to Dan. Up next, interview with David Aragona. Talk all uh, about the Gotham with David, then a couple of the New York races, a little bit about how he got into racing. He is the morning line maker for New York Racing Association for all the New York races. So, hope you enjoyed this interview with David. 
It is a big weekend coming up in the horse racing world, and one of the big racetracks that's going to have our, our major focus this weekend is Aqueduct, a really fun edition of the Gotham. Very excited to have on to talk about the uh, the Aqueduct big race and a couple of the undercard races from Time for US, the Morning Line Maker. The New York Racing Association and someone who I listen to quite a bit on the Timeform US Pacecast. And I'm very excited because I talked to his partner on that show many times, good friend Craig Melkowski. And for some reason, had the have the conversation with David yet, but this seemed like the perfect time. David, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, great to talk to you, Gino. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a good weekend. You know, it's been kind of um I guess like a nondescript uh, Kentucky Derby trail so far. I just don't think very many horses have kind of jumped up and like um, kind of stole our breath. I guess last weekend was an, was an okay weekend. Ette Indian kind of just ran them off their feet. But I feel like we're going to get some clarity this weekend with three prep races and a lot of horses that are kind of, you know, like fringe players. It, it's a ripe weekend for a couple horses to jump up and kind of take our attention. Yeah, I mean, we came out of 2019 without really a clear picture of who the leaders of this division were. I think a lot of people voted for Storm the Court as champion kind of reluctantly. I mean, and he's the fourth choice on the morning line in the San Felipe this weekend. So that just kind of speaks to the lack of faith in that horse. And I think we're looking for a lot of these lightly raced horses to step up and step into the spotlight. Now, before we get into some of the specifics over at Aqueduct, give us a little a little background on you. Uh, you do a great job over there. It, it's funny, not not a job where people are probably going to call you up and say, "Hey, great morning line uh, yesterday in that race." But you probably hear some crap from people when uh, when they feel like there's a, a horse or two that were off. But you do an excellent job. You do a great job with the the Timeform US and and the horses to watch and stuff like that. You're a great follow online. How did you get to where you are right now? Yeah, the best thing I can hear regarding a morning line is just crickets. <laughs> exactly. That's yep. the greatest compliment. Yep. Uh, I, I got into racing like most people. I started going to the races with my dad when I was a kid. Uh, I'm, I'm 33 now. So I started going to the races when I was like seven or eight in like the mid-90s. Uh, one of the first races I actually remember placing a bet on was when Skipaway beat Cigar in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Nice. I was nice. a big Skipaway fan. Uh, so I've been following racing since about like that time, late 90s. Uh, and, you know, I, I always was interested in the handicapping side of it and crafting wagers and writing analysis. And uh, as I got a little bit older, I kind of wanted to find an outlet for that. So I started blogging about racing a lot. And that just kind of took off on its own. And it just spiraled from there. And I ended up working into this interest industry through that. Yeah, well, well, you've done a great job. You're a, you're a really good follow if uh, you're on social media, on Twitter, at Horse to Watch. And um, if you're not following and, and listening to the Timeform US Pacecast, that's one of my weekly listens. It's excellent. You guys all do a really good job recapping basically like all of the stakes races, going through them. And, and that's that's just a lot of fun. I, I'm sure that's probably something for you that's a really good tool, not only for the show, but just like for your own handicapping moving forward, like immediately recapping the race like that and then kind of knowing fo- going forward, hey, this is who I like. I think this horse is going to run a little bit better next time. Yeah, it's been a little eye-opening for me because these past few years, especially, I've been so focused on the New York racing in particular, and sometimes you just ignore what's happening at other circuits, yeah. uh, so it forces me to watch a lot more races from around the country and be aware of what's going on there, and it does help when you're handicapping these stakes races on big weekends like this to already have a leg up on some of the horses uh, that you're familiar with in Florida and California. Okay, let's jump right in. We're going to go Gotham, and then we'll uh, we'll briefly touch on a couple of the races before that over at Aqueduct. You know, when you, you kind of start with this race, you, you look up and down, and you see... See, you know, if you like mischievous Alex, 
you know, not not the most difficult spot. But if you're just trying to beat this horse or you're looking for a little value, there's many different directions to go. I guess we'll just start inside outside and we'll do kind of quick hits on everyone. So with with a big long shot down on the inside, some inside speed here. Do you see anything more from Celtic Striker? I mean, he's looked okay in his victories, but he got his one real class test in the Jerome two back, and he just wasn't competitive with those horses. I mean, Independence Hall was, I think, one to nine for a reason in that race. There just wasn't a whole lot of competition. He couldn't even get that close to those New York Reds that were second and third, so I just think this is going to be a little bit too much for him to handle. And uh, informative took a shot against some of the stakes company and the Rems in. He was a little overmatched that day. He's hooked. Some horses that have been on, that are currently on the Derby Trail right now. He's you know he's faced some tough company. He hasn't been completely dismissed. He, the, his race, he kind of he was kind of in between, but then things ended up breaking pretty well for him. He was kind of able to angle out and around. What are your thoughts with Informative here? Yeah, this is the kind of horse that I would have trouble making a case for as a win candidate, but I mm-hmm. would consider him for exotics because he has really improved lately. I, I didn't like him early on last year, just seemed like a horse that would kind of run in place and not really make any move. Uh, but his last few races, it seems like he's turned a corner. He put in a really good late run in the James F. Lewis three back. I don't think he really wanted to go the mile on eighth in the Remsen, but he ran fine that day, as you noted. And last time out, he... He should have won that race by more. His jockey just kind of had him in this pocket for a long time. He was really tugging on the reins, trying to find somewhere to run. He eventually got out, ran down Continuation. Continuation, by the way, is a really nice horse who's running in the first race on this Gotham card. Uh, And I just think Informative uh, handled the mile that day. And if he runs a similar race here, he might be able to get a piece of this, picking up uh, just closing late in the stretch. The horse who really showed some improvement in his most recent start was the number three war stopper in here. And then he 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 was also one of the horses who ran on that funky December 7th day that we're going to see kind of show up a lot in this race, which was one of those weird kind of polarizing race tracks. Was it, you know, a bias track? At least it was kind of a, a track that you had to be forwardly placed a lot of it. At least it was a track that it was kind of hard to just pass from way, way out of it. And and then he came back and he showed, you know, really good speed. Um, when he broke his maiden and he got a big number that day, where do you stand on Warstopper? Yeah, he's a horse that I actually kind of liked last time because he got that trip on that yep. December 7th cigar mile card when he was against the racetrack. Uh, I do think it was pretty speed favoring that day. And he actually didn't even run that badly. It was a pretty no, quality maiden. No, it was kind of sneaky. Yeah, towards yeah. the end. He really showed some interest. Yeah. Even though I liked him last time, I didn't expect him to pop up with a 93 buyer and a 112 time form US speed figure. Uh, that didn't seem like it was coming out of this horse, but he put forth what seemed like a legitimate effort. I will say that January 11th card, that also was a day that was somewhat speed favoring, perhaps not as pronounced as Cigar Mile Day, but it did seem like it was exaggerating some performances of front runners. Uh, he again beat that promising maiden continuation, so seems like a decent form line. Uh, continuation did come back in his second start and run a bit slower, so that's a bit of a concern for me that maybe that figure is a little bit high for Warstopper. My big concern with him, though, is there's a lot more speed in this race, and it's not like he was setting very fast fractions last no. time. I just worry that he's going to have to revert to that mid-pack to closing running style. I'm not sure he's going to produce that same type of top effort with that kind of trip. And then we have uh, Attachment Raid. If we've been following you on social media, this has been an interesting horse because the figures and the time in this race just feels like it's a bit off with Attachment Raid. Well, I, I flagged it for myself because uh, you see a 21 and one opening quarter for yeah. a mile race at Gulfstream. And if you know the way that they start those races, the run up is always five feet. It's basically from a standing start. So it's it's almost physically impossible for, you know, even the fastest sprinters in the country to get a 21 and one opening quarter. So I went back and watched the video, did a little hand timing. And it seems like um, 
every fraction, including the final time, she'll be about a second slower. If you watch the replay, it was a super rainy day. It seemed like there was some fog going on. Yeah. The the person operating the track assistant probably couldn't see the horses breaking from the gate because you can barely see it on the video. Uh, So that's the that's the reason why the time is probably a little faster than it should be. I'm not sure. I don't want to jump out on the limb and say that the buyer should be a lot lower or the speed figure should be a lot lower because there's more that goes into that than just saying X raw time equals yeah. Y speed figure. Uh, but do take note of that, that maybe the figures for that race are a little bit high. But it's not like he ran poorly too back when he was second to market analysis. He put in a good late run that way that day. He wasn't beating much last time, but he did it the right way. I, I don't like that this horse doesn't seem to change leads in his races. Yeah. He's always hanging on that left lead. Still seems a little green, but he might get the right pace set up in this race. And then we move to a couple horses who were in the swale uh, last that we saw. Uh, Necker Island and Mischievous Alex. And... Necker Island was You know what he just really wasn't fast out of the gate And and he tried to get close but he was Kind of hooked really wide he was out in the forepath It it wasn't you know the best Trip he was a little wide mischievous Alex you know what he he, When you see that he won Impressively you probably figured uh, he just kind of Took the lead very easily and went on And that really that wasn't the case he actually dealt with some Pressure down inside and was able to put him away Um, What do you think of the two that come out of The swale in, in their little rematch here I mean, I liked Necker Island a little bit in this whale, and I was pretty disappointed by his performance. I I was a fan of his races at Churchill Downs last year. I thought horses like Silver State and Lynn's Map were really going to pan out to be among the better three-year-olds. Silver State's picked up pieces in some races at Fairgrounds, Lynn's Map not so much. Maybe those races just aren't as good as I thought that they were, and Necker Island didn't step up last time, so I kind of have a little trouble seeing him in this race. Mischievous Alex, I mean... He ran really well last time. I totally agree with your assessment of that trip. I mean, it was not comfortable for him for about three furlongs uh, down the backstretch. He only got into the clear as they came to the quarter pole. uh, And he really put that field away late. There were some good horses in there. Uh, We can talk about Untitled a little bit later. I guess him not breaking maybe helped Mischievous Alex a little bit. Uh, But still, it's two races in a row now that he's earned speed figures that make him the horse to beat here. The only question is he's got to get the mile. He's uh, a son of Into Mischief, and they can obviously get a mile. And the damn side is a little little bit more sprint oriented but it's not like he ran that poorly when he tried to mile on the sapling last year and he got a little bit green in the late stages that day so perhaps he could have won that race if he had his mind on running uh from my perspective he's just the horse to beat yeah he's gonna be tough he's gonna be in the mix throughout the race really like runs through him um then we move to Sixto, who you know what he was pretty impressive winning his debut is it's a small field but he kind of worked his way into a nice spot he he angled around um, I, you know what? He's a horse with a little bit of upside. I don't. I just don't know if this might be a little too much too soon in a big field like this. But I'm. You know what? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate his win. Yeah, when I first watched the race, uh, kind of knowing the field of horses going in, there were a lot of first-time starters that looked like they might need a start, him included. So I wasn't thinking that it was going to be the kind of race that would propel a horse to be a contender in the Gotham when I first saw it. But the speed figure came back as a respectable number, and yeah. we've seen two horses come back to win out of that race. The third-place finisher, Mr. Phil, and even the last-place finisher, Favola, came back to beat Maiden Claimers with a pretty fast time last weekend. So it uh, seems like that's a legitimate race for Sixto, and his pedigree says he's supposed to want to run a lot farther than six furlongs by Curlin. He's a half-brother to Catch My Drift, who was, I believe, a grade one placed in the Bell Dame going a mile and a half, a mile and an eighth, rather. Uh, so he's supposed to appreciate more distance. It's just a matter of, it. is it too much too soon for this horse? And then we have a horse next door who's, I think, to me, probably the horse that I'm going to be kind of keying in on and, and really watching what the price is on this one. Montauk Traffic, who you can just put a line through the debut race at Laurel in the slop, just never got involved uh, after a, a, just a really slow start. 
then came back and you know what both races it's funny the way both of the races were shaping up early on they they looked kind of similar to each other he was just maybe a little bit farther back in in the stakes race down on the inside and he was tucked in and one of them he had to kind of duck down to the inside and he got nicely through and then you know last time out he was able to kind of shift back and forth and he kind of waited and then he had to angle around they weren't Two, especially early on, they were kind of similar. It's like he's working out the same trip. I think he was like the number three down on the inside in both of them. Where do you stand on Montauk traffic? Yeah, I like this horse in this race. Yeah. Uh, he he does have to run faster uh, because if you look at his speed figures, whether you're looking at the time form US numbers or the buyers or really anything, uh, he's got to get significantly faster to get on terms with a horse like Mischievous Alex. Uh, but I agree with everything you said. I liked both of his victories in New York going that seven furlong distance, especially last time because he had to deal with all of that kickback and you don't see a lot of inexperienced horses have, having been able to deal with that this winter. They seem to get discouraged racing down inside. He ran right through it and he was even a little green late on his wrong lead, but he still passed those horses with ease at the end of that race. Uh, I don't anticipate that he's going to have any problem with more distance. I actually think he's going to no. like it because uh, cross traffic seems to have no trouble siring horses that want to go route distances. And his dam was a grade three winner going a mile and an eighth. This horse is a half to escape artist who is a confirmed dirt router. So I think he's going to like the distance. And most of all, I'm just encouraged by the fact that Linda Rice is even running in this race because I always like to take note when Linda Rice takes a shot in these graded stakes races. She doesn't do it with any horse. She tries to take the path of least resistance almost all the time. So the fact that she's got the confidence to run a horse in a race like this uh, gives me a little bit of confidence that he's going to step up with his best effort yet. Uh, the number nine, Flabjack, he has, hasn't has raced since September. His victory was over the synthetic at Arlington Park. He's a big price in here, and he would. this would be a little bit of a surprise if he were to jump up and win this race to me. Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this yeah. horse. Maybe he jumps up on the dirt, although his debut doesn't really lead you to believe that the distance is supposed to help him. He just has to get a lot faster. And then Entitled is one who Monster debut win at Gulfstream Park Against uh, the Florida Breds And then you come back and you're in the swale And and he's the favorite And he really did Did have a tough start to the race He got bumped around and he kind of got bumped back and forth At the start, it said, you know, ping-ponged at the start Which is kind of what happened It was back and forth, back, almost four times Back and forth, and I think you know, because of that, he didn't end up getting the chance to dictate his trip or really use the speed that's, uh, you know, the natural speed, which is his weapon. And then he got caught behind horses for the first time down on the inside, kind of in that in that tough spot where you get the shuffle back a little bit. So he did have a legitimate excuse. And, you know, he came back and he ran behind Governor Morris, who was extremely impressive and the heavy favorite that day. And it did look, you know, like prior to the top of the lane, I thought he had put Governor Morris away. He looked to be traveling a little bit better than him. And then Governor Morris kind of dig in and, and, and kind of went down to like a, another gear in here. Where do you stand with Untitled? Yeah, my one issue with him is that he does have that tendency to break a half step slowly because he really did somewhat do it to himself in this yeah, whale. No, you're he right. broke about a length slowly. Then that force that allowed horses to run into that open space and it forced him to get bounced around a little bit. Uh, he did break better last time. I think last time out at Tampa was the best that he's broken in any of his races because he was even maybe a half step slowly away from the gate in that impressive debut performance. Uh, like you, I was hoping to see him put up more of a fight against Gouverneur Morris. Maybe that horse is just vastly superior and he's going to be a force in this triple crown on this triple crown trail. 
trail. We'll see if uh, if that plan pans out for him. Uh, but untitled, to me, it just seemed like the two-turn uh, mile and 40-yard distance got to him a little bit at the end of that race last time. We'll see if the one-turn mile is a bit kinder to him. Uh, he is drawn outside of most of the other speed horses, so if he doesn't break that well, maybe that allows him to get into a better rhythm from the outside. Uh, I'll use him because I think he does have the talent to be competitive here. I just worry a little bit about the trip, and they're being pretty aggressive running him three times in five weeks. I just wonder if at some point it's going to take a toll on this horse. And then to the outside, we have uh, first deputy New York bred who has won a couple races stepping up into open company. Another one for Linda Rice in here. Um, Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I know the uh, Calumet farm owners can sometimes want to take a shot in races like this, so I wonder how much of it is Linda Rice wanting to run here and how much of it is the owners wanting to run here. At the very least, he's a good complement to uh, Montauk Traffic because he has speed coming out of six furlong sprint races, so he could be forcing the pace here, and that would just help his uh, uncoupled stablemate. So then uh, some closing thoughts on the Gotham, like how are you approaching this from a wagering standpoint? So Montauk Traffic's going to be my pick in this race. Yep. We'll see what price he is on the win end. Um, I would hope for at least 9-2, to 5-1. to one. I wouldn't want to go much lower than that. Uh, and I think we should get that kind of price because there are so many ways to go in this race. I would mostly key him with Mischievous Alex. If I'm playing multi-race wagers, those two would probably be my A horses if I'm doing like an ABC ticket. Uh, I would put horses like Untitled and Sixto maybe on one tier lower because I think they're interesting in this race. I, I just uh, trust the two top picks a little bit more. And then for exotic wagers, I'd throw in horses underneath, like like informative, who's going to be a big price yeah. in this race. It might be able to spice up the trifecta. Well, we're, we're in some trouble here because we're going to we're both going to be on Montauk traffic. So hopefully the, the the weight of that's what G said podcast doesn't pull us down uh, on that one. But I'm I'm kind of feeling you. I think anything around nine to two feels fine uh, fine on that one. I probably wouldn't want to take too much shorter. But it's it's a fun race from a betting standpoint. I, I think mischievous Alex will will like you said the race probably runs through that one. He'll have to prove it. He'll have to prove it in a race you know where he'll have to probably deal with speed on both sides. But it's a fun, you know, I'm glad that we got a big field here in kind of a, a good betting race in the Gotham along the road to the Triple Crown. Sometimes we get some of these races where it feels like people aren't willing to really even take a shot. And we do have a lot of horses in here taking a shot. A couple seem like big prices, but there are a few others that, you know, just one step forward and they're right in the mix here. Yeah, it's uh, arguably the race that's least likely to produce a Kentucky Derby starter of the three preps we're seeing this weekend, but I think it's the most interesting wagering race out of all of them. 100%. That's a great way to put it. Let's get uh, some quick thoughts on the two races prior to this. Let's go back to the eighth race with the Tom Fool in here, and we have a horse who uh, a few years back was uh, a horse who... I guess, actually, just last year, it feels like so long ago, when Mind Control was running in the Gotham, and and he was a a runner-up that day. But Mind Control has been really, really good since they've been kind of turning him back to that seven furlong distance. Do you have any concern about Mind Control in this spot, turning back again to six furlongs? That's a race that he hasn't, a distance that he hasn't been at since he broke his maiden. I mean, I, I do and I don't. Uh, I know if you look at the Time Form US pace projector, it has him back in sixth place early. And I understand why, because he's coming out of some slower paced races going seven furlongs. He hasn't shown the kind of high speed since really his two year old season when he basically went gate to wire in the hopeful, setting it on his pace that day. They've kind of adapted his running style a bit more since then and gotten him to shut off in the early going. And you've got some fast horses in this race, like Happy Farm Wentz and even Skylar Scramjet when he's on his game shows a lot of speed. So we'll see where mind control is placed in this race. I do think he can adapt his running style. I I worry a little bit about the six furlongs because he really has turned into that seven furlong specialist. Uh, But I don't want to shortchange this horse. He just seems to have a lot of fight in him. He knows how to get to the wire first. He's got some of the top speed figures in this field. He is a deserving favorite. 
if if there's anybody else you're looking to connect and exact the with, or if you were trying to beat him, who would you look to? So I like this race because I'm interested in a long shot. Uh, I have to take uh, a stand with a horse like Bone Raison in this race. He's a horse that I've been hoping they'd turn back at some point recently, and I love to see him going first off the claim for Michael Tenuzzo. If you haven't been following Aqueduct this winter, uh, Michael Tenuzzo's barn has been doing a great job, both with horses off the claim, trainer switches, uh, and not just first out for his barn, just horses that going are going out for him across the board have really been running well and basically outrunning their prior form. So I like that Bone Raison is claimed by this barn, and I also like that he's getting away from a uh, set of connections that seem to want to run him every two weeks. That doesn't work out for every horse. Uh, You might notice in your form, this horse raced 21 times last year. And I was looking through this horse's past performances. He's coming off a 36-day layoff into this race. Uh, And that might not sound like a lot for most horses, but Bone Raison has not been off for 36 days in his last 22 races. eight months for him. Yeah, Yeah. you've got to go back 22 (laughs) starts to find the last time he was offered this long. And the last time he was offered this long, he ran a 125 time formula speed figure in his next start, I think a 99 buyer. So maybe he likes having a little time between races. And this horse's best races make him a real foe for a horse like Mind Control. I mean, he ran that legitimate 100 buyer at Saratoga last summer, a 126 time formula speed figure that day. I've always thought he's best as a closing sprinter. He's going to get some pace in this race, and he's going to be a price. So I've got to take a shot with him. And then in race number nine, we have the Busher. And, you know, there were there was a really, really impressive winner on that very same December 7th card that we talked about in the Demoiselle, which was Lake Avenue, who did it on the front end. She had to work a little bit to get to the front end. She was a little wide early on. And it's going to be a rematch between Lake Avenue and May Dean on paper you know, it looks like it's kind of a two-horse race. Do you see any fillies that will be able to keep up with these two? I was kind of trying to make cases for most city down on the inside. You never know when there's like a big blanket finish like that. Sometimes the races don't come back that strong. Um, can you build a case for anyone other than the top two in here? This is one of these where I just don't have a really clever opinion. Yeah. I actually yeah. think Lake Avenue and May Dean are pretty nice fillies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm not looking to reverse the Demoiselle result. I, I will say May Dean did have a little bit of traffic trouble coming about the three-eighths pull to the quarter pull. I think uh, Louis Saez would have liked to launch her rally a little bit sooner than he got to because he was just trying to weave in between horses and he couldn't really find a seam until about the three-sixteenths pull in the stretch. But she finished off that race well enough and she was one of the few horses that closed over what was the speed favoring racetrack, but I do think that Lake Avenue deserves credit, as you said, for making the lead from that outside post position, post 10. That's really difficult to do, going a mile on an eighth at Aqueduct. She even broke about a length slowly and had to rush up into that position, and I just think Lake Avenue might be a really nice horse. Uh, we'll see how these Kentucky Oaks fillies sort them out over the next, uh, sort themselves out over the next two months, but I'm not going to be shocked if Lake Avenue ends up going into the Oaks as one of the favorites because she showed a lot of talent last year. She's got this awesome pedigree out of multiple grade one winner, seventh street. And uh, I watched one of her recent workouts on XBTV. It looks like she's just a keg of dynamite in the morning. So I'm not going to be surprised if she actually takes a step forward off her two-year-old form, this three-year-old debut. And uh, I like May Dean too. I I just think Lake Avenue might have the upper hand this time. 
Yeah, you know, just listening to you, you and Craig talking about last week too with uh, with with Tonalist Shape and Spice is nice in that division. They just they ran pretty well and and they seem legit. I wouldn't be shocked to see Lake Avenue with a better, you know, just a, a little bit of improvement jump up and kind of be right in the conversation with them. Finites continue to kind of just uh, you know, like turn away the doubters each and every time. So it doesn't seem like there's anyone that's been necessarily running like these major off the screen figures yet quite early on for these Phillies, but we're starting to see at least kind of like a top tier of them sort themselves out. Yeah. And Bill Mott has that other Philly, uh, Harvey's Low Goyle, who was so impressive yeah, beating yeah. some of these horses in the Busanda last time. So it seems like they're all running pretty similar speed figures and we'll see which ones progress over the next uh, month or so. Awesome, David. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. I, I would love to, to touch base with you again, maybe in a few weeks when we uh, get set for the wood and, and we have a, another really nice card over at Aqueduct. Yeah, this was fun. Great to talk to you. Um, give everybody out there again one more time. Give us your plugs. Where can we find you on social media and what kind of stuff are you working on right now? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at horse to watch. Uh, and I do weekly videos on uh, DRF.com or you can uh, subscribe to Daily Racing Forum's YouTube channel. You can also check out uh, the podcast that I do with Craig there. We, we do them every Tuesday and Friday. Tuesday is the recap show where we look back at last weekend's races. Friday, which will be actually recording later today, we handicap the upcoming weekend stakes races. So do those. And you can also check out my uh, Naira analysis on Naira.com. David Aragorna, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. It was uh, a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks. Good luck this weekend. You too. That was David. We will be right back here on That's What G Said podcast. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. 
Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. That was a fun conversation with David there. You could tell, very sharp handicapper. Uh, We'll hope to have him back on again. He's a great follow online. You heard all of his information there. So um, if you... uh, if you like to follow the races, if you play the New York races in particular, and make sure to go uh, check out that Timeform U.S. Pace cast. I'm going to try to see if we can get Craig on, uh, Milkowski on next week, maybe to talk some of the Oakland races with the the Rebel and some word about maybe even a couple divisions of the Rebel if the, the race is, is possibly going to get split. So, um, yeah, for me at Aqueduct, I didn't really find a whole lot that I love today except for in the in the Gotham, actually. I, I do really like the 8, Montauk, Traffic. And, you know, David was pretty high on that one also. And then I'm uh, I'm going to use the three War Stopper also in some exotic. So I'll, I'll, I'll play those two. Um, you know, if I can get the better price on either one, like a, a drastically better price on either. But, you know, anything around, you know, over four to one or so on, on Montauk sounds good to me. So I'll, I'll probably play the eight to win. I'll use the three in some exotics there in the Gotham, which is race number 10 at Aqueduct. Let's get to our next interview. We're going to talk a little Santa Anita with Emily Gullickson. One of my favorite conversations when it comes to horse racing is with Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ. You can follow Emily on Twitter at Emily Optics EQ. May Emily on there. And Emily is, in my opinion, one of the best handicappers out there. I think um, a lot of it has to do with you know, I think for selfish reasons, because I think she looks at the races kind of similarly to what I do. I think a lot of the things that are important to Emily, breaking down a horse individually, their trips, what happened in each of their races, their replays, the value, all that stuff that you kind of hear me talk a, a lot about. I, I see Emily preaching when she's talking about horses that she likes. So I always love bringing her on to talk about some of the big days. Emily, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate you on here. Uh, that's what G said. Absolutely. And I don't know if this is again. I don't think I've been on this particular I don't think you yet. have. I don't think so. I think you've been on the Mike Abadier show a bunch That's of times right. when we've had you on there. But yeah, it's definitely been too long to be on the since you since we've talked and we've, we've broken down some races. So really appreciate it. And it's a good weekend, too. Honestly, we have three prep races. The San Felipe, the one that we'll talk about in the Santa Anita races, is probably from like a a quality depth standpoint i think we probably know the most about like three or four of the top contenders in there but the other two fields are, are pretty good betting races too in the gotham and the, the tampa bay derby if you don't like one of those top choices you can make a case for many it's it's gonna be a fun weekend yeah i agree um i went over those races um on another podcast over at twin spire so um with ed I DeRosa, with right with ed yeah yeah yeah, yeah with ed, plug um... that one for sure yeah yeah, um, and I, I agree with you. I think it's a great weekend of racing, a great day of racing at Santa Anita. I mean, 12 races. Um, big field. I, yeah. yeah, big big fields, competitive fields. Um, yeah, there's there's some really tough, challenging races that are, you know, just kind of like what gets you excited about playing the races, you know, or you're, you know, look at a race and you're like, oh my God, I kind of don't know who's going to win. And then, you know, you really dig into it and that's, that's the fun part, I guess. What you guys do, before we get into some of the specifics this weekend, I had a couple people, one uh, guy who was a buddy of mine named Doug, I wanted to give him a little shout out to, that that like your product, and I had a couple people that said, I've seen this product, I've seen people talk a lot about it, but I don't really know a whole lot, like what is, what is it, what am I looking at, so kind of give give us the, the kind of the brief overview, tell us a little bit about the product that you've been, you know, working for and 
creating and kind of being a part of from the ground up for the last few years. It's it's optics eq optixeq.com is the website. And there are a bunch of different tools. You have the plot, you have the uh, the optics notes, you have the grid. Um, kind of give us a little overview onto like some of the major features and what you guys are doing over there. Sure. And I'll kind of bring this back around to what how you introduced me, which was awesome and how you and I both kind of look at the race the same way. And with optics, like we step into the race horse first. Yep. And and that to me is the basis of handicapping. Mm-hmm. I know if you're kind of looking at standard PPs and you're looking from the top down, it's like you have the trainer name and then you have the stats and then it's like you're already kind of don't even really know what to do with that information. And then you get to the running lines and it's just kind of like, well, I saw the stat. And, and with optics, we're focused on on the horse. I mean, the trainer sets that stuff, it's important, but if the horse isn't fast enough, if the horse isn't in form, if the horse isn't going to get the right trip, if the horse isn't going to get at the right level, it it really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very secondary to what, you know, these trainer stats are saying that this horse is second off the layoff or 20% sprinter up. You know, it's irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. It's like so so that's pretty much where we're at at optics. It's like you have the optics plot which is going to help, you know, give a visual as far as pace. You have um, optics grid, which includes the optics figures, right? Which is your speed figures as far as pace. Um, one of those features is the optics figure range. So then it helps you determine is this horse running speed figures that can compete and win at this level. The optics notes, which are kind of going to help you establish form, right? Because Finding trouble is pretty obvious, and it's also pretty rare. So it's more kind of understanding how how did the horse run this race and what's going to happen next time. So that's kind of the idea when we're looking at trip notes. And then you have the optics notes grade. And, and all, all this stuff can be kind of used as the handicapper and what their style is. I use the optics grade to kind of help assess class, right? So if a horse is running B races at um, – a starter allowance level, for example, and then they go to move up to um, a graded stakes race. I want to be able to see like where where this horse can compete, not just on speed figures, not just on kind of their current form, but is this the right level? You know, yep. maybe if that horse is running B pluses, yeah, they're ready to step up in class. If they're running C's, C pluses, that's not going to cut it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's a really quick way to kind of help sift through. Um, you know, the noise of the race. So if there are some folks out there who are just hearing about the product now, they want to look and find more about it. Maybe there's some place that they can read a little bit more and get some more information. Where can we find that? So yeah, on the optics website, we have so much information. You just register, log in, all of that's free. You don't have to buy anything and then just go through each product and you can read it. Um, if you're kind of more of a, a hands-on type person, you just want to dig in and go, that's the way that I tend to learn. Um, I'm learning by doing and self-taught, like that's yep. how I learned to play the horses. Um, I would look at the Santa Anita race of the day. Um, it, it's also on our website. It's also free. And the way that I write up the analysis is by looking at, you know, the optics plot and the optics grid, you know, obviously talking about that race, hopefully, you know, analyzing the winner or, um, exposing a a bad favorite or something but 
I'm, I'm writing it in a way that if you're looking at the plot, looking at the race, you can kind of start to understand, okay, that's what this stuff means, and this is how it's applied. So I think that's a, a very useful tool for people that want to start, you know, using optics or what are we doing. Um, at least that's in just kind of a different style of learning if the kind of frequently asked questions um, isn't always like your best way of learning. And and you've actually started doing um, some videos and stuff too. Like you've always been very good on YouTube and with vi- doing videos to kind of um, break down big races and use the and show how you use the plot or how the plot kind of interprets this race or you know how the notes kind of have the race playing out for you. And you've been doing a really good job with some of your Oakland Oakland recap videos. And I and I've always seen you're someone on social media who anytime anyone has has a question about the product or a question about anything you're very very nice and like you respond to them and you'll go back and forth so one more time like where can we find you on social media stuff and where can we find you on youtube if we want to get even more information and uh, and maybe reach out to you so the the twitter uh emily at optics eq and then um the youtube i believe it's just may May emily yeah 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 Yeah. it's may emily which is my um my old roller derby name um which is carried me on like i figured you know i'm still in the derby world you're still may hemley absolutely yeah (laughs) we'll go with it um but that that link is on my twitter as well if you don't want to just kind of search it in on youtube and yeah and and those are good videos too you give uh, the oaklawn recaps where you just kind of talk about what happened covering the races each day they're really good stuff if you're someone who follows oaklawn and i guess we're doing your plug so before we get into the the specifics now what what are you covering on a day-to-day basis what kind of stuff are you doing um, so, so I'm doing trip notes for um, Oakland Park, Santa Anita, as well as Laurel Park. Um, at Brisnet, I do um, kind of a, a race of the day or races of the day or kind of just whatever I feel like writing up for, for Oakland Park for that day, um, as well as the spotlight select selections for Santa Anita at Brisnet, um, race of the day on the Santa Anita site, the Oakland recap videos. Um, all over the place. I'm yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I have to pause and be like, oh my God, I'm creating a lot of content. Like I got to kind of keep up here, but yeah, I, th- I think that hits on everything. And it's always really good stuff. So you'll, you'll, you'll always hear me uh, talking. One of the, uh, one of the few people who, if I haven't really handicapped the races a whole lot and I just want to play a few things, or if, if like one of my friends is asking me for information on races that I haven't handicapped, I will like literally say, Hey, you know, I think Emily might have looked at these races. She's someone to follow. I always trust you. So I always appreciate your work. And uh, now let's jump into the specifics this week because we talked about what a, a fun weekend it is. And I mean, we don't have to like sugarcoat it. Santa Anita, it, the last year from the struggles um, with all the, the horse fatalities early on and the different things that have been happening. I mean, the, the field sizes have been shrinking for years now. And it's been another kind of struggle to start the meet where we're having less days being run. But you know what? I'm I'm someone who is critical when it need be critical, but I will say when you look at the Friday Saturday races for Santa Anita this weekend, they are really really good, deep, big fields, quality stuff. So uh, it's a good weekend for Santa Anita when we we haven't had too many of them in a while. Yeah, I agree. So we'll hype them up while we can. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. So let's start with the, the San Felipe, which is going to be like a, I think the biggest focus of the day at Santa Anita because. These are the horses that need to get some of these Kentucky Derby points to take another move forward. And this race actually came up 
pretty pretty tough. I'm always surprised when I look around like this weekend that you know Baffert just doesn't send horses to New York or Tampa or other places because some years it feels like he might be able to win all the preps if he just spread his horses out a little bit. Um, he, I guess, you know, when we start talking about this race, you have to start with the Baffert. So there are two horses in here that are both undefeated. He has Authentic, who who won the Sham, who was really green late. He, I mean, he crushed that field, but he was zigging, he was zagging, he almost hit the rail. And then you have Thousand Words, who's kind of been really workmanlike through his three. So let's start with the Bafferts. Kind of give your thoughts on those two. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that the the way that you described this, the sham was right on. And in fact, he did that a very subtle but similar in his um, Del Mar Maiden win. So he's got those quirks, which is you know it's something that you've got to keep in mind with a horse that's going to be a short price. I mean, for him. Um, you know, he's kind of got this like upright build. He high, he carries his head really high. He he carries himself like he's a horse that's going to be forwardly placed, and that's kind of where I expect him to be. Um, so for him, his kind of like one chance to win is going to be on the lead, um, and the professionalism has got to kick in. You know, so mm-hmm. um, you know those things could be a, a little bit of a liability, but at the same time. A, is a horse wiring this field going to be any surprise? No. Um, yeah, and I agree. You know, a thousand words. He hasn't been super flashy, which I think people want to see. They want to see this, like, mm-hmm. really flashiness. But at the same time, he's just – he's steadily moved forward with each race, and he's gotten something out of each race as far as experience and had to show grit. You know, he had to show a lot of grit to win the Los Al Futurity when a new door came up to him to hold on for the win. And then last time out, you know, he had, he lacked room. He kind of lost some momentum. And had to dig in. And those aren't things that are that are easy for a young horse. So even though it's not like he's drawing off by open lengths, the fact that he's getting those wins, um, I, I think is a good a good sign for a young horse and improving in the process. Um so both those horses, you know, they're they're logical. I lean towards thousand words a little bit more over the pair. Yeah, and you know, I think because it's a, a Baffert horse in general too, like we expect the, the horses to just like run off the screen sometimes. But we have to remember, like every horse, and and this is you know just like the point that we mentioned at the very beginning that you and I kind of look at. Like every horse is different. They're each an individual. They don't all have a linear straight path that's the very same. You know, some of the horses are awesome right off the bat. We saw Nadal or Charlatan. You know, some of the other Bafferts who are just. Eye-opening when they break their maidens And then you have horses like this who, you know, Baffert Maybe has to to do a little bit More of a training job with to continue to Progress them. He's had horses like this though You know, through the years that weren't Immediately just awesome, kind of like A West Coast, I think, is even one that kind of Developed a little bit later and wasn't But but this is a horse who, you you Mentioned, I, I think people want to kind of Knock him right now when he Really hasn't done a whole lot to knock Right, right, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and especially in this race, I mean, you know, he fits. He fits on class. He fits on speed figures. Like yeah. he's he's pretty logical in here. Yeah. So I, after the Bafferts, well, you know, the next you know price on the morning line would be Honor AP, who his debut race was one of those that you know he completely missed the break. He came flying late. It was a really good effort. And actually, the race has come back. A little bit better when we look at Ginobili Who was kind of the horse who tested Nadal um, Mm -hmm. Just a few weeks ago And then Honor AP came back in his second start He went right to the lead He was just handled like a horse who they thought was the best You know, put him on the lead Let's not try to get tricky or get in any trouble here So he's got ability He's he's had a couple issues To where he hasn't been able to get back to the races Since October the 13th He, I mean, he has some talent This 
I'm I'm not quite sure how I feel about him. You know, I think he's got plenty of ability, but this might be, you know, a, a tough spot to win right now. I wouldn't be shocked to see him hang around and 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 maybe take a big step forward in his next start. Where are you with Honor AP? Yeah, I, I kind of see it the same way as you. Um, I I don't dislike him as a horse at this point. I I mean, it's hard to for all the reasons that you just mentioned. But uh, you know, it's tough. He's got to come back. You know, he's now a three year old. He's got this layoff to overcome. Um, I I don't see you know like you mentioned. I mean, he was just kind of like much the best. They put him on the lead. They let him roll. I have a hard time seeing him get that type of trip in here. I've watched yeah. him train since. He just doesn't. He doesn't. Physically, and I know John Sadler, I watch a lot of these horses. You can just kind of see the trainer patterns and what they do with each horses. You know, they don't train – he doesn't train them for, like, brilliant speed. But he just I think he said Sadler, like, but you meant sheriffs. Just sheriffs, yes, there. thank yeah. you. No problem. No problem. <laughs> you know, I did that when I was riding up a race, too, and I'm like, you know uh, – so I don't know what's going on there. Um, but, uh, yeah, he just kind of has a, a kind of a grindy style t- to him, and I have a hard time just seeing him, like – Ready to go. Early with authentic or even uh, wrecking crew, who's got a little bit of speed there, you know those ty- types of horses. So I could see him coming from off the pace and just he's he's dead fit. I mean that's that's for sure. I mean stamina doesn't look to be any issue. So you know those two things he has in his favor. But yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more towards like I'm, I'm not overly excited about him in this spot. And then we have your two-year-old champ, Storm the Court, who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And the race, you know, you're just looking at the horses who were behind him. They have not really come back and run very well so far in their three-year-old seasons or in the races following uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It, you know, if you're if I was just playing him coming into the race, I would think that, you know, he, he probably needed his his start. He's kind of like a race ahead of where, where Honor AP might be. You know, he, he probably got that race that he needed out of, out of the way. I thought it was actually a pretty good effort that he probably should get a lot of fitness and bottom out of. But I just don't know how good he is. You know, I don't even know if he shows up with his A game. Is it going to be good enough to beat the horses to his inside? I agree with you. I think those are all, you know, I don't even really have anything to add. I think like you hit it on all on all the points. I mean, he he won the easy races, the race he was supposed to win. He had the like the a very soft pace in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile where a lot of horses didn't show up, should benefit from that last race, but he still has question marks going forward. You know, he's gotta prove that that race wasn't a fluke. And and then we'll we'll get to, you know, a horse like Wrecking Crew, who, you know, you look at Wrecking Crew. And and he's it's funny you scratch your head and he's multiple grade one placed but but he again he was behind storm the court it felt like the race for him for me that I kind of I've had a tough time ever kind of getting back to him was that Delmar Futurity race when you know everything went wrong and the two horses bumped into each other lost the rider and it seemed like he had everything and every opportunity to win that race that day and he couldn't and Nucky who was like a maiden claimer ended up winning I've been kind of tough it's been tough for me to like want to use him. Since then, can you make a case for Wrecking Crew? Uh, I, I can't, and and kind of the same thing. I mean, even on even on debut, I know I saw like a lot of chatter on Twitter. People got kind of excited about yeah, I him. Remember that. Like, yep. You remember that, right? Yeah. And, oh yeah. And I, was, and I was watching the visuals, and I'm like, he's just not. He's, it wasn't nearly as impressive as people were kind of making it out to seem. Like it seemed like he had a lot of trouble in this and that. And it was like it was oh, it was okay. You know, he was just it was a slow start, and he would just better than horses. He was better than he just went by them. You know, right? Um, and just just as far as like his his visuals, like he's just he doesn't have a really like good stride. Like he's not the no. most efficient mover. You know, these are things that's like when you get older, is that is that going to be hard on him to develop? And so he just hasn't he hasn't really done anything to to well me and. 
Um, like you mentioned, I mean, he's had kind of those favorable setups and hasn't got it done. So um, he's got to just like almost come back after this three month break as kind of a new horse and really establish establish himself on this scene. And um, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. And then we have kind of two what look to be real long shots uh, on the morning line. The inside with Fort McHenry, who now comes into the Doug O'Neill barn. He was third in uh, like an optional 50 at Aqueduct last time. You, you maybe will get a little speed, but they're taking the blinkers off. So who knows? I mean, this course was a, a $1.1 million purchase. Hasn't quite lived up to it yet. And then you have the outside horse who comes in from uh, Turf Paradise. You don't really see even that many 50 to 1 morning lines anymore in this day and age. And uh, this horse is 50 to 1, even coming in off of three consecutive wins. They were against much, much softer. Can you, you know, say anything like positive about either one of them? I, I couldn't really build too strong a case. Yeah, I mean, Swag Sensational is just, he's over his head in here. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's far too slow. He's got to run from off the pace. He's just like, he's just going to be distanced early on. I mean, he's going to have, he'd have to improve. 25, 30 points, I'm not even exaggerating, in order to compete with this field. Um, as far as Fort McHenry, I mean, there's there's a lot of question marks with him. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the purchase price. I think he's California Chrome's brother. Bro, yep, yep. And, Love the chase damn. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, like, you know, he had top connections, like, you know, Todd Pletcher. He, he knows what to do with the horse, right? He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he had the good, so he's been given these opportunities. It's like he, he had to bring him to Calder uh, or Goldstone Park West in order to, you know, to win. That's obviously not where he has his like first string. So there's that. Um, but the one thing I can say is he's got, and I, I've kind of gone back. I've watched him. I've watched his recent work since. Those two races at Goldstream Park West are the only two races around two turns. And physically, that's kind of what this horse looks like. He had the one-turn mile uh, last time out at Aqueduct. He was forwardly placed. It's actually pretty fast pace for Aqueduct, to be honest. Um, so I can give him a little bit of a pass, you know, three months off, setting that fast pace. He failed to switch leads, which kind of got him beat late, in my opinion. Um, so that's one of the things I wanted to look for when I was watching his um, his recent workouts with the blinkers off. He's been changing leads on cue. He's he's definitely a two-turn horse, but then you kind of go back to that overall question with some of these others, like, is he good enough for this level? Yep. So, you know, I could see those things being a positive, but it's hard to be like, you know, there's you nobody else him. in this field. Might as well take a swing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's a contentious group. It's not like a field of 12 or a big field, but when you can make, you know, when we thought there were four horses that, you know, are legitimate horses, there are four horses that are, like, on your derby points list right now that look, look like, that are on our AP is not quite, doesn't have any points yet, but he's, like, on people's top 20s. He's he's in the field in a lot of spots. This is one of the better prep races, I think, that we're going to see right now as far as depth. You know, next week and two weeks and three weeks, we can go back and look and say, okay, how do these horses move going forward? But as far as some of the preps we've seen last few weeks, this is one of the, the more ones that I'm I'm at least interested in, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how these horses show up Saturday. Agreed, agreed. Okay, let's go a little bit uh, back in uh, earlier in the card. I want to get some quick hits from you on uh, races four, five, and ten. Like a quick hit on the San Carlos, the Kilroe, and then the Big Cap. So let's go to race number four, which is the Grade Two San Carlos. We don't really have any of you know the big sprinters who have been around for a couple years who have been you know really good in here, like towering over this field. Um, Although I will say it's you, you when you start digging into what Flagstaff has done, it's really hard to 
to knock him. You know, he's been he's been pretty solid. And you have a horse like Roadster who always gets a ton of attention. He's always a real buzz horse. But you know, you start digging into him, he hasn't really done a whole lot lately. Um, where do you like? How do you see this race? I, I think both those horses are probably the two the two in this field. I mean, yeah. the Flagstaff. You know, he had he had a little bit of an excuse last time out. I know it doesn't look like it, but when you have a four horse field, um, just kind of run styles make the race. He had to kind of race close to the pace than he wanted to, and um, some trouble at the start. He lunged out of the gate. Um, so I thought that was a, that was a solid effort for him and um, Sadler. I got it right this time. Had Saint <laughs> Joe, Joe Bay in the race, so um, you know he's got a pace setter. He doesn't have to create the pace this time. Um, and then as far as as far as Roadster, he's just a horse I've never really been excited about. Yeah. But he fits in here. I mean, he's getting back to to a shorter distance, which I think is ideal for him. I mean, you can kind of see that route to sprint pattern. It's kind of not, not a shock in there. Um, you know, the last time out, it, he just did not, he wasn't a good favorite to begin with. No. Um, let's, you know, be honest. So yeah, keep that in mind. But I mean, he really didn't have any chance. He was raced far off the pace. He made a subtle move. I mean, just kind of nothing went in his favor. So, uh, you know, a rider change off that makes sense. Um, this is just kind of a, a better spot for him. And then Baffert doing the same thing as Sadler has, um, where is he? Mikhail in here, another horse that's just, he's just not quite as fast. He's not quite as classy, but he's going to be one of the pace setters to kind of help up, help set up that trip for, um, for uh roadster. Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, Manhattan up, I mean, he's, he's a cool horse and he's improved this year, which is what you want to see with horses going from three to four. Um, I just, you know, form cycle items. I'm just a little bit concerned that he's run those kind of big races in a short period of time and now being the third start. Um, but that's kind of it. I mean, a quick hit. That's yep. it. Yep. I, I think I can't really get too creative in there. I think it, it feels like kind of a kind of a captain obvious type race in race number four. Um, and then we have the fifth race, which is going to be the grade one Kilrow. And we're going to have Got Stormy, who was just so good towards the end of last year. The now a five year old mare, and she beat the boys uh, a couple times. Uh, she beat the boys a couple times. You no, know, one time last year. She's multiple grade one winner. She was second in the Breeders' Cup mile. She was second in the Woodbine mile. And she ran really, really well last time she was in Southern California, which was uh, in the Matriarch down at Del Mar. She ran really well at Santa Anita when she was a runner up here. But then she was your heavy, heavy favorite in her, in her first start of the year. And she just kind of threw in a clunker. Mark Cassie has said, you know, you can blame me. I was a little overconfident in that race. So do you think. She towers over this field, or is this a race where you try to take a shot against her again? Um, you know, I'm I'm not. I can't look at her and be like, you take a shot against because of you know A, B, and C, right? Because mm-hmm. she fits right in the last race. I mean, it wasn't ideal for her, but um, you know, it's not the type of race that you want to take a short price. She certainly fits in here. She could certainly win. Um, I'm gonna take a shot against her just because I, you know, value wise, like you said. I mean, she's just. She's got the name, like people get excited. You know, she also has the class. I mean, there's things that are valid. Um, this this race to me just came up, came up really tough. And I think one of the biggest factors when I was going through here was just kind of looking at the pace scenario because there's really no like front runners in here. Mm-hmm. Kingley is probably gonna be your pace setter. And and even Ohio, he kind of went to the lead in this race last year to pull off the upset. Um, so I think those two are, are kind of it. And then it's really, to me, going to be which horse is going to get the trip. And 
I, I think that horse is true valor because he's he's coming into this race, third start of the form cycle. The sprint race was was a total prep. Um, you know, he had trouble at the start. He made a good move, but you could just tell this was like this is a prep for something in the future. And then in the um Thunder Road, the ride was just it was horrendous. I mean yeah. He fought this horse start to finish. I mean, just it was a mess, right? You had this total tug of war going on, and then he still ran third. He still put in this like massive close to finish third. So I just think Rispoli, major rider upgrade. He's got that inside post. He can sit right behind those two horses, get first run, and and that that to me is the way I designed the race. And so I think he's going to be a good price. He's coming into this race the right way. He has some class. He's a multiple graded stakes winner. So again, I could I could see some other horses in this race, but I, I just think that's kind of the the bet. Yeah, and I think because I, I was looking at two horses between the the one and the eight, and I think the re and the eight adds the blinkers, and I think they're they're kind of looking at this race probably the same way you are, and 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 some of us are going. You know, there's not a whole lot of speed in here, and that's what concerns me a little bit with Frontier Market. I'd like to see him not have to be such a stone-cold closer and just come from so far out of it. And if that's the case, I would much prefer the one who's able to kind of save ground. I think he can sit just a little bit closer. He's just naturally a little quicker than than that one. I I do think um, Frontier has an opportunity to take a a nice little step forward with that race under his belt. But I, I like the play of the one. True value. Yeah, I'm with I, you. I, I agree with you on Frontier Market. I think he's the other horse. He put in a big close to, yeah. you know, even though he finished fifth. I mean, he certainly fits. Though know, the thing about him is that he's just he doesn't break well, and mm-hmm. so that's why he's that's why he's so far back. This is his and own worst so, enemy. Yeah, exactly. And so it's not so much that he's a closer as the fact that he just he he gives the rest of the field a head start. And 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 again, I mean, I I think he's super logical. I think I I put him second in here. But um, for me, it's just like it's so tough, just trip wise with these type of horses. But super logical and definitely using. Let's go to race number ten, which is the big cap. And uh, I think we, when we start with this race, the horse two is really really intriguing, um, and is kind of like a. In the comment lines in the in the racing forum, it says a former rogue who refused to train, and that's the first uh, line. And that we we hear um, the connections and uh, talk about midcourt. He he's one that he he is really his own worst enemy. He seems like he just kind of has a mind of his own. But when he's on and when he gets out of the gate, it, it's not even necessarily that he's a horse who has to be on the lead. It's just getting out of the gate smoothly, getting into a nice stride, getting able to settle. And then he runs his race But you know if he's being If they're fighting him or they're trying to ask him to do something That he doesn't want to do He becomes a little bit of a nuisance <laughs> um, Yeah I mean Midcourt he's just kind of what you want to see From an older racehorse right He's just he's improving he's stepping yep. up he, he does have that ability to to be versatile. Um, he's had some trouble getting out of the gate in the Comet at the top in the San Antonio. Um, but he has that, like, he can be on the lead. I don't think he's going to be on the lead in here. I think he's going to kind of have to raid a little bit. But, but again, you know, Victor's got options um, with him. Um, yeah, and, I mean, you know, gift box, super obvious. I think he's a horse that's going to be, you know, he kind of likes to be forwardly placed. Um while he is super obvious, um, I'm gonna kind of go against him. Yeah. No, not 100. I mean, I just think it's it's too tough too because he's he's class. He's got the distance, but but trip wise, um, you know, if the pace is is fast, it's quick. That's been something at this kind of longer distance that that he's kind of struggled with. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. So for me, I 
I think Hoffberg is super strong in here. Um, his, his last race, I know it doesn't look like much on paper, and so he's probably going to be a good price, but he was extremely wide throughout, which that day at Fairgrounds, and especially this race, you wanted to be inside and forwardly placed. And he showed he showed run in that race. So he's wide early, and then he comes widest off the turn, and he's still running. And you just see those horses that where they finished, one, two, three, were all inside, were all forwardly placed. He's just such a massive upgrade off that. He's, he's distance is going to be no problem. I think he's just going to get a much better trip. He's much fitter. He ran yeah, that yeah, race. I was going to say, he, he probably got so much out of so that race. Much. He hasn't yeah, raced, he's, two, he's raced two times since October of 2018. You know, he he needed that race so badly, and he should take a huge step forward. He, like, to me, he he is a horse who's who has, you know, class to kind of call back on also. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he just kind of, looking at this race from everything, like, going back to talking about optics, I look at grades, I look at speed figures, I look at form, I look at, cl- you know, it's like he checks every box, and he's going to get a good trip, you know, Pratt, local rider, um, I think he's just going to fit this horse perfectly, and I think he's just going to, I mean, he he has that tendency, maybe he doesn't show up or whatever, but um, I, I have a hard time seeing it. I think he's just a really solid fit in this race. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it, at a price like you could talk me into endorsed a little bit too. I think he he has some upside. He might if they're going quick, he might be able to get that kind of trip that we're talking about with Hofberg. Of the two, I would definitely prefer Hofberg, but I'm I'm not against endorsed if he's around like 5 to 1 and you're looking for alternatives maybe to to mid-court into gift box. Um yeah, I I the the big thing with him is like distance wise. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm not I'm not sold on him for distance. He's those races that he's been able to kind of close into. Um, been it shorter. He's had pace to run at. Set up. They set up really well yeah, for him. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's like he's got to get trip. Plus, he's got to get the distance. I just I think that's tough. But as a horse, I I, I do like him. Um, and I can't fault anybody that picks him. Um, in this race. So. A good, good Saturday at Santa Anita. We just went through four stakes races with the uh, the feature. Uh, the main main focus, I guess, is is the San Felipe. But when you have the big cap on on tap, which is one of the uh, the all time great like historical races, it's a going to be a really really good weekend. Emily, I always I appreciate it. I asked you for fifteen minutes. You gave me double that, and uh, <laughs> I always always have a blast talking with you. We can find you on Twitter at Emily. Optics, O-P-T-I-X-E-Q And we can find you on YouTube uh, Just look up May Hemily M-A-Y-H-E-M-I-L-Y You can subscribe there Anything else uh, that you're working on that you want to plug? I, I think that's it I think Awesome, that's it. <laughs> awesome, Emily, thank you so much It's a fun weekend, I look forward to uh, Talking with you again, and let's try to uh, Let's try to link up you know, like a few more times Between now and the Derby, because I oh. always appreciate Your your advice, uh, your insight, your advice Like I know you're one of the, the people that I follow myself quite a bit And I'm always curious like how you feel about a race So I, I take your opinion very, very seriously I appreciate it, thank you And and honestly, anytime Emily Golikson, thank you so much We'll be back here in just a minute on That's What G Said Thank you to Emily for the awesome job as always handicapping some of these Santa Anita races. I'm gonna gonna breeze through some of my uh, other Santa Anita plays. So you know, in, in race number three, uh, race number four, I do th- kind of agree. I thought Flagstaff would be be pretty tough in here and would would probably be able to sit the the really perfect trip. Maybe let you know 
St. Joe Bay and McHale go, Flagstaff can sit and try to hold off Roadster. If, if that's kind of how it unfolds, should get the jump on Roadster. Probably tough in there, but not necessarily one you could bet. In race five, we talked with Emily about about the uh, the Kilroy a little bit. Um, I I thought Frontier Market was you know probably the horse uh, to to bet with True Valor as she had mentioned. So for me, you know eight eight and one one and eight I'll, I'll use in some exotics, and I wouldn't completely toss Got Stormy you know from underneath. But as far as you know, if you're playing on the win end, um, I I would I would use those two, eight and one, and maybe uh, depending on what what price you get on, on either one. Uh, if you're gonna gonna play that race kind of individually from a, a win standpoint, in race number seven, uh, the eleven Warren Showtime is just a nice filly. You know she's one to watch. I'm not sure if you're gonna be able to play her. I I don't love the post obviously, but she's pretty handy. Um, she you know she's pretty versatile. So I, I think she could probably work out a trip if need be. But I, I don't necessarily want to hammer her if she gets bet down a little bit any more than than you know the price that she is around on the morning line. So just keep gonna keep an eye on her. She's a nice one to watch. And then in the San Felipe, honestly, we went through the field. I just don't. This is gonna be one that I'm gonna be watching a lot more than betting. I just you know I could see any of the real like top contenders win. I would lean toward Thousand Words, but I don't you know. I don't know how to really approach that from a betting standpoint in this race. Honor AP, I feel like, will need a race. I do think Storm the Court will be a little bit better, but how much better is that going to be enough to to deal with the Bafferts and even Honor AP? And uh, and then Authentic is a little bit green. I just I would want to see a little uh, more from from him in a field that's going to be tougher than anything he's faced before. So I just don't really love. Anyone, I, this I think it's a good group. I, I think a lot of the, these horses are, are pretty quality. I just, from a betting standpoint, I don't know which way to go. So I'll just kind of watch this as a fan and and uh, and, and kind of see use this as kind of a, a you know a, a research and a tool moving forward when we handicap you know Sanity Derby and wherever some of these horses go in their next prep moving forward. In race number nine, a couple to include if you're playing any kind of uh, exotics. The number five Kalinki. Adds the blinkers. I just feel like she's going to take a, a really big step forward today when she stretches out from five and a half uh, to the mile. And then the number twelve, Peter's kitten. She's just one to keep in, in, in your exotics because you know what you're going to get from her. She's going to make a late rally. She's pretty consistent in in, in what she's going to provide for you. Going to be late on the scene. Going to pick up some pieces. She has legitimate excuses for a couple of the races where she didn't run very well. The races that are kind of sandwiched by layoffs. You know, the one in July and then back again in, in, in January, which rate which actually was. Not not as bad as even as it looks on paper. So, uh, five and twelve in the uh, in race number nine. There in the tenth race, the the seven and the eight. We talked about uh, it, with uh, Emily this one uh, the the big cap. So uh, to me, the Hofberg and Endorse would be the two that I would try to beat Giftbox with. I you know again, if you're playing this race, you know ex- tries and exactas. I don't think you're gonna gonna probably just beat gift box in midcore completely but if you're playing you know a pick four or you're playing this you know pick threes any any kind of race to race sequence then i would try to beat those horses and maybe you just use seven and eight that's how i'm gonna play and in race number 11 uh let, let's talk a little bit about the four in here uh, to jory who she had a really tough trip she had to take up out of a spot in between horses. She lost momentum. She lost a few lengths. And then when a, a horse in front of her um, wasn't traveling that well, it backed up right into her. It forced her all the way back to last. She came on really nicely late. Now they had the blinks. Pratt sticks third off the bench. 
I think the number four to Jory is one that I'm going to be uh, making a win wager on and using in all exotics. I expect her to get played a little bit from that morning line, but I mean anything over like five or six to one is fine with me on the number four to Jory in race number eleven. And yeah, that's it for the uh, the Santa Anita stuff for me for Saturday. Now we'll move along from Santa Anita Saturday to Tampa and to Sam Houston. So let's go to Tampa first. And it's the Tampa Bay Derby. Again, just an absolutely loaded, loaded weekend. Get those uh, Tampa pass performances out for... Saturday, March the seventh. A couple uh, thoughts before the Tampa Bay Derby. I mean, just in race number seven, I, I, you know, this is probably another race. I can't, I can't really bet. I think Chapelu is going to be really, really tough in here. And in race number eight, you know, keep an eye on, on this one, King for a Day. You know, the only horse that actually crossed the wire in front of, uh, of maximum security first. That was King for a Day, who beat him back in June of 2019. And then look at that Haskell that he was in. How how good that that Haskell has come back so far with maximum security, mucho gusto, and spun to run. A noble drama might be the the horse that could beat King for a day, and, and people might see you know the maximum security thing, and he he might get hit really really hard. So if if noble drama floats up, maybe that's who you play in race number eight at Tampa. In the ninth race, I do like the three Magic Star a little bit. Uh, she was stuck in a really bad spot. She was on the inside in her last start. She was fourth. She was fifth. She was sixth off. She was tucked in behind. She got. Through on the inside, but you know, and she was kind of pinned in for a while by her rival today, Starship Jubilee, and she was like right up on the heels. Um, she lost all ground, she lost momentum, she split horses, she was up for second. She, you know, keep an eye on the price again. If she gets hit hard because everybody sees that trouble, maybe don't play her. But Starship Jubilee is one that gets bet a lot, also. So keep an eye on Magic Star, and if she, if there's a big difference between the two of them, then let's play Magic Star to win the number three in there. And then we go to the Florida Oaks. I really like the number three, Secure Connection. She won pretty nicely back in, in the in at the end of twenty nine, the end for her of twenty nineteen, which was in uh, September, and, and and she came back in in January, and it was down at Gulfstream Park, and she was behind a horse named Stunning Sky, who was just nine to two. Uh, versus Cheermeister, who you see in, in the running lines for for some of these. So secure connection as far as like r- competition and who she faced. She's actually faced fine company. That was a good race that she comes out of on January the on January the ninth. She had a slow start. She was last on the inside. She was waiting. She was just three off, but she just didn't have a ton of room. She tried to angle out and around, but she was pinned in. She was just kind of forced down to the inside. She had to alter um, and. You know, she tried again to hit another spot that that closed. She was unlucky. She just missed second, and she honestly looked like she could have won that race. I like the number three in here, Secure Connection. I'm gonna make a win wager on her if we can get anything around six to one or so. I think she's a she could offer really nice value in here in race number ten at Tampa. Let's go to race number eleven, which is the Tampa Bay Derby in here. From a betting standpoint. I kind of like this race because I'm not really too high on the top two contenders, um, you know, necessarily needing to win this race. Chance it, who was scratched from the Fountain of Youth, comes over here. Will likely vi- will be vying for favoritism with Sol Volante, who won with a really great setup in the Sam F. Davis. And Sol Volante is is consistent. There's no you know no no knocking him. You know what you're going to get from him though. He's going to drop back. He's going to make one late run. I actually really like 
the February 8th race at Gulfstream Park race number 7, the race that Spa City and Unrighteous come out of. And I'm going to use those two as my top two in here, and I'm going to use them in all exotics. I'm going to have Spa City on top. He... You know, he got going late in his debut. He was a clear-cut second behind a a horse who was really good on January uh, 11th. And then he came back on February the 8th, going a mile and an eighth, which I really like. And it was a good start. He was close up second. He was, you know, right up on even terms. He was pressing from the two-path. He took a a really big challenge from Unrighteous, and he was able to turn that one away. Uh, I think Unrighteous still has some ability, though. So I'll use the two of them and... You know, many other ways you can go in here. Uh, market analysis wouldn't be a surprise. You know, I mentioned Ch- Chance It Sol Volante wouldn't be a huge a huge shock. Um, you have a couple different pledgers in this spot, but for me, let's go with the two, Spa City, and the nine, Unrighteous. So those are the uh, the Tampa Bay thoughts. We will be back in just a moment, and let's talk a little Sammy Houston. Okay, let's get into Sammy Houston for Friday, March the 6th. Let's uh, go quickly because I'm not going to get this out with a lot of time for people to listen to it before Friday. So uh, race number one, I'm going to start with a, a pick three, and I'm going to be singling the two Docs Gold who broke last in the slop, then got stuck inside. It was just a tough trip for him last time out. This was his first start since September. I think he's going to really improve with that race under his belt. So we'll use the two as a single in a, or an early pick three that starts in race number one. And we'll, we'll uh, get to race number two with the number one. All right, we'll, we'll put the six on top. We'll have one, four, and six in the exotics. Just kind of really kept an obvious in here. Uh, we'll, we'll go with the land, with the six Landon's Congo, who broke right on top, and then he battled from the inside of uh, the nine to five favorite. He got shuffled a bit. There were a couple next out winners from that race. The six, uh, the third and the sixth place finisher both came back to win. One of them was named Dust of Flying. So Landon's Congo beat the horse who came back and ended up beating. Tell Me You Love Me, the number one, who, you know, I just didn't really, I thought he was kind of caught up a little too much on the pace in that field. If he would have just sat back a little bit, he probably would have been able to win. They kind of lined up, and Dusta Flying was able to angle around and got got a really nice trip. But she's she's got some ability, this filly, and she's going to be down on the inside, though, which kind of concerns me a little bit. She might be forced into to try to go go to the lead again, but you know what? She just might be the quickest in here, it, and that might not be a bad um, thing for her in this spot. And then the Fords, the other one with the blinkers on, and this one steps up from the Maiden Claimers, was pressing just off, got shuffled back a little bit, lost a few lengths, a strong second. So, again, nothing really too crazy or too outside of the box for me. That's also the start of the early pick four. So, you know, one and six, and then one, four, and six probably, you know, nothing, again, nothing too, too outside the box there. In race number three... It, we're going to go to the turf course. We have a maiden special weight. It's going a mile in the 16th. And I'm going to use the seven horse on top here. That is Mine Boss. You know, I played Mine Boss the first time she stepped on the grass on January the 17th, and she was not a bad third that day. She actually flashed some good speed. Um, and she was on the grass again on January 31st, and then she just completely reared up at the start. She missed the break. She just had no shot. They tried sprinting on the dirt last time. That's not really what she wants. I, I think she'll be better in here, and I think she's going to give you a nice little run for your money. And, or she, I keep saying she, mind boss. He is going to give you a nice run for his money there, and, uh, and and he should be you know sitting in, in a really good spot. The 10 is the one I think that, the one to beat, Mr. Strange, who was a, a clear, who was a you know a clear second last time out, who has run well 
on the grass against this level. You can make a few excuses for some of the uh, the poorer performances. And then the one, Goliath Ridge, who, you know, the race that I really like is that August 27th race at Rotoma. Uh, again, the, the runner-up against the Open Maiden Special Weights. This is not the strongest group in the world. This is not a bunch of monsters in here. 7, 10, 1 in race number Three. Let's go to race number four in here. I thought this was actually a, a pretty tough race, and um, I'm gonna take a little bit of a stand. Um, you know, the five is the one to beat, Ramblin' Fever. So we won't toss the five. The the five will just be one of two horses that we include in here. And you know, he was outrun early. He was last. He was way off of it, but he came flying, and he should come running. You know, you know what you're gonna get from him. The four wears Rufus. This is going to be the horse I bet to win. This is going to be my top selection, and hopefully we can get another one of these bust-out long shots at Sam Houston. Toss his turf races. The route races are a little bit too far. He absolutely needed his last start. He hadn't raced from April of 2018 to February of 2020, and now he's had you know just about a month to recover since, so he didn't wheel back really, really quickly after the long layoff. I'm not really a fan of that. The distance you know, looks pretty perfect. He's he broke his maiden at seven furlongs. And in his comeback race, he got squeezed at the start. He ended up last out of the gate. And then he moved nicely in the two path in between. He was in a tight spot. Um, he would up to press the one to two favorite. He took a big shot at him. He got a little tired late. I mean, he had every right to get tired late, right? That was coming off a very, very long layoff. I think he's in a good spot here. And let's let's make the four our top selection. Where's Rufus? We're going to make a win wager on him. We're going to use him in all of our exotics. We'll use the four with the five. And then underneath them, the one truly bling. Taking a pretty pretty big drop in here from the, the 17 five non-threes against open breads to the Texas bread non-five, uh, the five non-winners of three. I'm just not, not a fan of the rail. Not sure if this is going to be his best distance, but he, you know, he wouldn't be a big shock in here. The three, don't be foolish. He was seventh on the inside. He was three off. He was behind a wall of horses. He had to wait. He tried to angle around, but he was in traffic. He kept moving, but Rambling Fever ended up running right by him. He needed to move a little bit earlier. Um, I wouldn't, you know, completely dismiss him. If you want to go a little bit deeper even, maybe my golden tail. I've, I've tried to build cases for him in, in a few. I just think you know, this is a, a little bit tougher of a spot. So uh, let's go four, five. Uh, love the four in here, the five underneath with the one and the three. Those will be uh, the the plays in, in race number four at Sam Houston. Let's go to race number five at Sam Houston. We're going to go with the seven, Geminator, who was floated six wide into the turn. He was, you know, eight off at the rear. Then he was three wide. He made a big three wide bid. It was, it was really solid late. And he, he probably just needed that January 17th race, and now he's going to go back to the dirt. And I think just because of that, because his decent race last time out was on the grass, you you might end up just getting a better price on him because the dirt's a little bit more of an unknown. So let's use him along with the eight champagne on, champagnes on ice, who drops in class, who had a slow start, who sat towards the back. He was seven off. He was up to challenge four wide. He was losing a ton of ground. He was up to within uh, within two before tiring. He ran well. That was against Maiden Special, so this drop should really, really put him in a, in a good spot. The five-horse Wild Indy, he's finally going to put two together, and he's going to drop in for Maiden Specials in here. He, he actually has a couple of good races against Maiden Specials and against Better, and I like the fact that you know he, he probably just needed to get a little more fitness out of that last, and he could be really tough 
uh, on the front end in here if he's able to to sneak away or clear the field. Um, one, if you want to go a little deeper, you know, the blinkers come off this one for Broberg. Obviously, it's tough to dismiss anything from this barn. And and then the nine, Mo American, you know, he burns a little bit of money. I'm okay with playing against him. He saved ground nicely. He was a close-up fourth, fifth within two. He just kind of was a, a little bit flat late. He didn't have a whole ton of excuses. Yes, that was against better. And, and now he's kind of, you know, like a wild card because you're going to be, you know, talking about him on the dirt now. And, uh, you know, we saw him on the grass last time, but... Now, I have him ranked seven eight five one nine, and I have the seven as a, a top selection in here. Let's move to race number six for the Friday night card. We're gonna go with the number eight, Gray Hope. Uh, this race, I, I just kind of feel like you know the eight, the two, the one, the three. They're all pretty logical. I, you know, they're all you know in a in a very winnable type spot. I think they're all, you know, they're going to all be, you know, probably spread around with with some of the money. Great Hope's getting back to the grass. The two Sonic Boom has the speed. The one Imperial Mission, he comes out of a, a really good race by a horse named Marquis Prince, who's a multiple stakes winner, who was third in a grade three race following when he that September 24th race there at Indy. And the fifth place and sixth place finishers came out of that race to win next out. So that was a really strong race, that Imperial Mission. Exits the three prospect fever was a good winner last time out and it was just in too tough two starts back and he's been really good going a mile so I just kind of have a hard time getting away from any of them I have them ranked eight two one three so we'll use those four um, in in you know some of the the late exotics in race number seven this is one where I don't have a very strong opinion uh, at all in here. I'm leaning towards the six, Data Baby, who was floated wide into the turn, uh, was in six, was five off, was up to within a couple lengths, took a big shot, um, was up to, you know, we got a half length off before fading, and now you get the slight cutback, so I have Data Baby on top, I like Madison's Wild One, who just completely missed the break, was dead last, and never had a shot uh, after that beginning, the seven was tucked, uh, Kind of tracking in between horses, three off was kind of always moving well, angled up and around, but just got nailed late, opened up a couple lengths, but the six to five favorite was able to get out and just run her down. She's a horse that I can't really leave out of exotics. The eight, good night loving, is tough to to dismiss. Dropping in class after a, a decent race against a little bit better. The the two sneaky Diane is gonna take some money on the drop in class. I'm not quite as high on her as some others in here. And then the eleven why you know I'm a Stephanie obviously uh, my girlfriend is Stephanie why, but why does Parker jump on this horse who you know is going to get a, a, a little uh, a little money likely just for the Parker factor but will will still probably be a pretty big price in here and I just don't understand why you know you look you look through and you've seen Cabrera on this horse a couple times also and he she she at least has a little bit of speed in some races that she's been able to show, like some kind of tracking speed. I wouldn't be shocked if this horse runs. There's just something weird about, about Parker jumping on this one to me. So, I mean, I, I've got this race 6, 5, 7, 8, 2, 11 in a race where I'm going to spread. I guess like 5, 6, 7 would be my top tier, 6, 5, 7 in that 7th. Let's go to race number 8. We will use the six horse in here, Duke of Kent, who is 
most recently, he was too deep, he was five off, and he just ran like he needed the race. And now he's in for 10, and he, you know, he's going to take a little step forward today with that race under his belt. He has a, a little more speed if he wants to show it, but I think his best type races are when he's tracking. He's run really well over this turf course. He has a better race to get to. I think Duke of Kent is a, a must-use in all exotics and, and likely a win wager in here. And the number one, exciting. I think you have to use, that was a good win last time out, and he fits very well in here. We were talking to Carl Broberg about how he claims a lot of horses who have their first level allowance condition. He can, you know, try to get that first level allowance win and then drop them right back in. And, you know, you, you see something kind of similar to what he was able to do here, when get, get the first level allowance win last time out with exciting 6-1-4. The four just never danced proudly, never just seemed comfortable last time out, was shuffled back. He's just better than that. 6-1-4 in race eight. At Sam Houston, race number nine. Let's go. You know, the three is the one to beat. I will use the two before. Uh, we will use the two also along with her in a lot of the exotics. She was hustled for the lead, but she couldn't get it. She was in between horses. She sat second, um, a length off. She moved to the lead. She opened up a length. She looked to be done, but you know, she she really kind of kept fighting him off late, and she was a strong second. I really like the effort. Mary Jane's double, she's over her last six, but she looks like the one to catch in here. I just, I'm worried if I'm only using two, three, that those two might battle each other, which would give, you know, uh, you know, even the seven has a little bit of speed, but not a whole lot of like stick late. Who She's another player in here. The five is, is the one that probably gets the best trip, but she's over her last 20. I mean, look at the one is over the last 16. The three is over the last six. The, Skirt Warnings over the last 15 Sundown 7 over the last 20 uh, Performance Rider over the last 13 Forest Girl over the last 12 It's just not a race where you know Obviously a, a ton of horses who are uh, win machines as of late 2, 3, 7, 5 in race number 9 And in race number 10 This one Is A race where I, I, I'm kind of have one horse ranked slightly above another, and then everyone else is kind of in the tier below. Uh, I'm going to have the 10 horse, um, Satchel DeRiches, right on top. He was moving really well up the inside, but he just had nowhere to go. He was behind horses, and by the time he got out, it was too late. He was a really good second, and he was much, much second best. And, and maybe even, you know, with the, with a clearer run, um, the opportunity to win the race. So I think he's a great, great fit in here, and he will be. A horse I single on one pick five. You know, if you're you know wanting to go a little deeper, you're not the type of person that wants to single. Bank Billy had a slow start. He was dead last on the inside, 10 off, and then he came rolling late. He really flashed some ability. And the thing about Banker Billy, he beat the horse cat dude who beat Satchel to Riches. So that's kind of why I, I'm you know, not a whole big fan of just completely leaving out um you know, Banker Billy in a lot of the exotics. Then the nine on tilt, who's going to go second off with big speed coming in from uh, from Oakland and Churchill. The 12, Z Big, I'm kind of thinking like a wild card. I will uh, include. He got some action in his debut for a barn who really has been spotting them well over here. And then the one, Arch, Arch, Tail. So the some of the plays for Sam Houston for Friday, March the 6th. Race number one, we're going to do that pick three. Uh, two with one, four, six with one, seven, ten. Uh, race number two, we're going to start the pick fours. Uh, you can play one that looks like this one, four, six with one, seven, ten with four, five with one, five, seven, eight, nine 
And I'll also play another one that'll go uh, starting in race number two, one six with one seven ten, with one three four five, with one five seven eight, and then in race number six, a couple pick fives. We'll play one where we basically use like all the horses, and then we'll single the ten in the last. So it'll be like one two three eight with two five six seven eight eleven with one four six with two three five seven with ten. I mean, if you want to go deeper, maybe the six, you can throw the six in there too with the 10, but I'm fine singling the 10. And then another pick five, we'll do a backup one where we go deeper in the last leg. And we'll go two eight with five six seven with one four six with two three with one six nine ten twelve. Now keep in mind, if you're not someone who likes to play the pick fives, that's fine. Just don't play that first rate leg. Just play the pick fours. They're all twelve percent the takeout. So some sometimes if I don't really love the sequence or if there's a couple scratches, I'll just pick play the pick fours instead. The pick four pools are actually bigger. Uh, more people end up playing into that pick four. So if you had, if we had a couple prices, we could be alive for bigger money in a pick four than we even could in a pick five. It happened last week to me. So uh, something to keep in mind there. Uh, best of luck for your Friday racing at Sam Houston. Let's get to Saturday as we are rolling along, man. It is whew, just going to be a fun Saturday, a fun weekend with just a ton of, ton of racing action. Sam Houston. Get your past performances out for March the 7th. So the first two races, they're Arabian races. I kind of steer clear of those. There there are plenty of other opportunities for me of races that I just feel a lot more confident in. So those will be the races that I will, will focus on, which start in race number three. And let's go to the one, uh, Bodie on tap. I, I, I think that this will be kind of a good a, a, a good jock switch for him. I, I feel like Luzzy will just fit this one a, a little bit better going long on the grass, trying to save a little bit of ground from the inside. The two, to me, looks like the one to catch and probably the one to beat. So it's one, two. I mean, if you're thinking about going a little deeper, obviously you're going to be you know looking at the four, five, and the seven. And you're going to be talking about a couple horses in the five and the seven who have never tried the grass before. I'm I'm fine with just using the one and the two in race number three, and we'll start a pick a pick three here with just those two, and we'll we'll play a win wager if we can get like anything around four to one or so on the one. The number four horse, uh, the number uh, fourth race, not a race I love. Obviously, to me, it just looks like the three and the four. Don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I just I couldn't find anybody else in here that I could really make big strong cases for. I mean, maybe you, you want to go to the one, but then you're talking about you know you're just using the top three choices. The seven would be the next one. I just do think the three and the four look to be the the best, the most experienced in here, and uh, the most likely winners of this race. So we we won't try to get too deep uh, in, in this one. Just just three and four. In, in race number five. The eight horse is interesting to me at a price, and that's Sueño Americano. She's coming out of a really strong open race, going a mile on the turf course right here at Sam Houston behind after Red Sun, Houston Strong, Little Code. It's just a much better race. And she's going to go second start off the bench. Uh, she's got a good turf race. A couple starts back, you know, the sprint turf race wasn't that bad. I think we just say that she was just in a little too tough and she was coming off the bench. She was just outrun. Let's put the eight horse on top. We'll make one of those nice win wagers on this one too. If we can get anything around like, you know, eight, ten to one or over, um, we will use the, the ten in the second spot. Glitter bright. I think uh, y- you can see obviously she's 
was another one who made her first start. She ran well last time out. If you put a line through the September 11th race, then you know you have some really good races to go back to. Uh, the number four special ending, who has big speed, and you know she might be able to just outrun them in here. And then the number five awesome sunset could fall into a really nice trip. So eight, ten, four, five in race number five at Sam Houston. The sixth race, I, I, you know, I haven't had too many of these recently at Sam Houston, but. There are a couple on the Saturday card where I just don't have the strongest opinion, and the sixth is one of them. I think it's just because it's a field of six, you know, and I like the six a little bit just in that I think she might have been in a little bit tough against the Open Company last time. She might have needed the race, but the problem is is that Golden Lullaby, you can just say the same thing for, and she actually ran pretty well in that very same spot. So it's, to me, you know, the two should, you know, should be included because of that monster win last out. The three probably gets a, a nice trip. The four has good speed. I, you know, and then the one's going to go from the inside, and it's tough to dismiss a horse, that, a horse like that that has pretty good speed. I'm just going to all this race in the pick five. I'm not going to try to get too cute. Um, I, I I can shorten up a lot later with the way these races unfold. So let's just play. If you're going to play a pick five, the way that I'm going to do it is I'm just going to press all because I don't personally love that sixth race. I just can't really... Like make it make a strong case for one over the other. It looks like any of the four or five, you know, that I can really make a strong case for. And, and even you know, the rail horse has some speed. Race seven. This will be the start of a late pick four, and I'm gonna go to the four here on top. Eyes on red. I'm just hoping he sits off a little bit. He was forced, I, I think, more to the lead than he wanted to be in his last couple starts based on the post positions of where he was drawn. The towards the outside and then the the rail draw two back and he can sit a little bit he has that in him I'm gonna go with the four I'm hoping he can just kind of sit right behind some of the speeds in here it looks like this is I'm just not quite sure how this race is going to shape up because I, a lot of these courses are best when they're on the lead and in a situation like this that means a few of them will just get outrun and probably not pick pick up pieces even in close. Um, maybe the six mugshot man can pick up some of those pieces. I have him in second. The three, you know, maybe he just ends up sitting a trip too. And, you know, then the one and the two, what are they going to do? So as I mentioned, there's not, I, I very rarely have a race that I don't love. And there's like two of them back to back in the sixth and the seventh. I'll put the four on top and we'll see. Like if, if we can get him at around that price of eight to one, he's probably the, uh, still a horse I might make a, a, make put a few bucks to win on. This is just a race that I have a tough time dismissing a whole lot of horses in here. So I, I know I have them four, six, three. We'll, we'll use as kind of our our top tier because I just can't really afford to go long, long. You know, back to back races. I, I'm not talking anybody off the one or the two though. And, you know, and then and then you're you're to the point where you might as well just go all because the only horses you're really leaving out are going to be big prices. And if you're going deep, the whole point of going deep is looking for big prices. So then you know that I can't be in the situation where I'm like going all all in races six and seven. This is this was a, a harder Saturday card for me, uh, mainly just because you know you get the feel for it some nights and these two races back to back. You know, which which I stink because of where they're placed, um, the placement of them. You know, at the start of the pick five and the start of the pick four, just you you would love you love it when you have a really strong opinion in those spots. And then in uh, in race number eight, I'm gonna use the five. Get a load of this. I I might be able to go pretty deep in these first two legs of the sequence, mainly because I have kind of strong opinions in races eight and race ten, and and, and a pretty pricey 
opinion in race number nine. So the, the five, I think, get a load of this. I really love that race at Golden Gate that you see back on May 31st. If he can just sit off a little bit like that, he's going to be in a great, great spot in here. And I'm going to put the five horse on top. The four Betta Lake has just been a freak when she's been on the uh, when he's been on the grass. And so I'm going to you know include him in some spots. But I'm okay with singling the five if you feel like you have to go deeper in some of the other races. I'm going to do that at least on one ticket. We'll use the four in some exotics. Uh, the one with the the Brobergs. You know you're going to get big speed um, with with this entry. Um, Sometimes a lot of times he'll scratch one of the two. But we'll see if he ends up you know running them both. They're going to be really tough. And then the six in here, uh, JC's nightcap, who's going to be making the second start at Sam Houston. You know, should should have a little more fitness under the belt after that last one. So five, four, one, six. But this this is a race where I'm fine with singling the five, who won't be a horse we could probably bet to win. But this could be kind of an exotics key horse for uh, for some of those late exotics, especially with you know my my lack of real opinion in the the races prior. And then race number nine. The six horse pop culture, you know, his running style should really fit nicely in here. Just kind of coming from off the pace, but he doesn't have to be too far back. He comes out of a good race behind Archie, who we've seen around here and who's a, a very nice one who loves to win races. You can look through pop culture's form and find some of the races where he just seemed like he was a bit overmatched, maybe in a little bit tough. I don't think that's the case in this spot. I, I really like him in here. The one added attraction is real big speed. He's going for his third in a row. He's obviously the horse to beat, you know. And, you know, you get that another Broberg entry that's going to be really, really tough. Whichever of them run, but added attraction would be the the, the, the preferred of the two. And, and I'll have him right in second. And then the four on the drop, Frosted Bling, who is just coming out of much better races. So I would be six, one, four. Let's make a little win wager on the six if we can get, you know, Six, seven to one or so, even just about half of uh, the price there. And to close things out in race number 10, uh, let's go with the 11, Sporty Flyer. I really loved his last effort. He got stuck at a bad spot on the inside. He was trapped behind a wall of horses. He flew up the inside. He angled around, and he was really good late. And it doesn't, you don't think he was because he was he was pretty well beaten that day, but he had a lot going on towards the back of the pack. He was kind of in his own race, and he was able to get up and beat Rock the Devil, and he Rock the Devil had a much, much better type trip. So Sporty Flyer is a horse to me that I'm fine with singling if you if you want to. The other horse I would use would be the obvious logical contender, Caddo Fox, who's the speed from the rail. He was able to, to kind of clear and open up a length to, to, to two lengths at some points even. He held off a big challenge down the middle of the track, but was a... Wasn't able to hold off the challenge at the inside of Gold Pilot, who came out of that race to win next out. So 11-9 in the last race. I'm, I'm going to bet the uh, the 11 horse, too, if we can get you know 3-1 to one or so on that one. And we will go through the, the Sam Houston plays for Saturday, March the 7th, with uh, the pick three that starts in race number three. One, two, with three, four, with four, five, eight, ten. In race number six, we'll play a pick five that'll go all with three, four, six, with five, with one, four, six, with nine, eleven. You can come back in the seventh race and play a late pick four where you go three, four, six, with one, four, five, six, with one, six, with nine, eleven. Or if you just want to play the pick four without the all, you know, and, and just single the five, uh, you can do either uh, either or. Some of the horses to uh, make sure to include in your exotics in race number three, the one Bodie on tap. Race number five, the eight, Sueño Americano. 
race number uh, eight. It will be that single, more of the the single and exotics. Get a load of this. Race number nine, the sixth pop culture, and the tenth, the number eleven sporty flyer. There's your Sam Houston Saturday. A quick run through of some of your best bets for the weekend. I appreciate everyone who chimes in on social media. We heard from Michael Harley on Twitter. He says Chad Brown, first time starter at Gulfstream Park, uh, race number four, Amino. Thanks for that, Michael. Good to hear from you. Let's go to over on Facebook. We hear from Stan Ware. Stan is always going to come with the Clippers. He knows that he says Clippers money line over the Lakers. Of course, Stan would come with that one. Great to hear from Stan. Uh, Jordan Gatlin, uh, Saturday. Oaklawn, Honeybee, 50 shades of green. The number seven, eight to one morning line. Austin Herdina, he likes Wisconsin at Indiana. High scoring game between two teams that normally don't score a lot of points. If it comes in anywhere less than 135, he's going to be hammering the over. Paul Roz Dosen likes Northern Iowa to win the MVC tournament this weekend. Joey Q, Joe Killen, Villanova with a double-digit win at Georgetown on Saturday. Thomas Lee Walters Jr., his best bet this weekend. Louisville beating Virginia, men's college basketball, guessing, uh, and also the UFC pay-per-view. Zhang going to destroy Joanna Jerzetic. Jang minus 170 says take it to the bank. Brian Vlasovic says also likes Zhang um, in the UFC fight. Nice to hear from Ed Gerlitsky. We were joking about how Ed uh, thought the Clippers game was the late game. And he said he likes the Clippers, but the game was already well, well underway. And the Clippers had the game well, well in hand. Um, Brian Vlasovich, XFL Parlay, St. Louis Battlehawks, minus four and a half. And the Guardians, plus seven and a half. And the Gotham likes mischievous Alex, the number six. Tampa Bay Derby and exact the box. Texas Swing, and Sol Volante. David Dennis loves Kentucky at Florida. Kentucky uh, looking for the over Tennessee for Florida. Uh, and nice to hear from David Dennis. Bill Bognosian. Uh, Bill Bogosian loves Orlando to cover at the Timberwolves on Friday. So thank you to everyone. Remember, NBA Jam rules when you see me out there and you see me asking for your selections all you have to do is post you'll get a shout out i'll mention you i'll mention your play if you give us winners on three consecutive shows you get to come on and co-host a segment thank you for listening this was a horse racing heavy episode but we got some college basketball talking because college basketball is going to be real a, a real big focus over the next few weeks nba it will kind of take the the center stage following that as they get into the playoffs so really really fun and there will always be horse racing with the uh, the the big derby preps coming up now each and every week thanks again folks have a nice nice weekend